the old, okay i'm just being very biased and diva about my I like I like my performance in the old one better, but I love the new one too. The new one sounds the great. The thing I like about the old one is it it sounds really like gritty and raw yeah. when the lead guitar kicks in and everyone goes whoa. Yeah. For some reason, it just has a little bit more oomph in that one part. Like the rest of the, the song sounds way better on the record. Like yeah. the way that uh, West Grand like arranged their parts and everything in the chorus. It just oh sounds my god, no, it's so way good. better. I'm but I'm th- that initial yeah. hit. It's the very so beginning, cool. which is why I still like it for the podcast. And I just, I was just having a better voice day that day when I recorded the old one. I was just I think fuller your voice and sounds louder. Really good. You were younger. Uh. Now you're a shell of your youth. <laughs> <laughs> Smoky crack in yeah. the voice now. No, now you're actually way healthier. Other oh, than the so much bottles healthier. of wine. Yeah, other than the vino, I'm very, very healthy. You gotta be. Yeah. You gotta try to be anyway. I've been trying to be. Uh, it's been feeling like some someone's been like a professional boxer has been punching me in the back. So I'm oh like, my god! I wake I gotta up quit those and it's kidney. Like, the, those kidneys uh, need a break. Well, that. But it's like I wake up some days and I just like if I slept in a weird position, my neck is fucked up all day long. It's fucked yeah. up. <laughs> anyway, we're old. So yeah. uh, so welcome back. It's been like a month since we recorded with just the two well, of us. Yeah, just the two of us. We had a uh, I had Vince on the podcast, and then I think I also had. Uh, Maybe even Schmitty before we were on a podcast together. Yeah, but then you had, uh, I had Marge. Marge on, and she is going to be playing a show with us, and her new band is Killer. I'm so um, excited. We finally, Marge and I have been talking about playing a show together since like we met. I feel like it's probably not that long, but it feels the like a long time. Is this show that you guys are playing together? No, because we've played with, well, with her band, because we've played yeah. with um, uh, Roxy. We played with Roxy. R- yeah. Right. But as far as me playing with like an, a Marge original band, I think this is going to be the first. I think. Nice. Yeah. Looking forward to it. I'm excited too. I'm glad we're doing this show. I know that there was like a little bit of debate whether or not we wanted to do it, but I think it's good, especially because we didn't have shit booked for November. We and didn't. We and like, like my, my big thing was I was like, oh my God, we just played this big show at Vinny's a month before. So I was just worried about playing a month later literally four weeks later we're playing Vinny's again and it's like is everyone gonna be like oh my god i just saw them at Vinny's." so that was my worry but i was just being a negative nance so now i'm trying to be more i think the familiarity is good with like different markets and it's not like we played and people were like fucking get them off the stage you know they had a good time like that was one of the few times i've played conquered and actually legitimately had a bunch of people come up and like People I didn't that know, we don't know and, and come up and talk. Usually, people in Concord are very close to the vest. I feel like, and they kind of like they'll enjoy it, but they're not going to like go out of their way to tell you they enjoyed it. This um, is true. So, yeah. this is one of the first times that I've had that happen in Concord. It felt good. Well, Tom said something optimistic about this upcoming November show. He was like, "I was like, oh man, we just played. What if everyone's like, I just saw them?" And he was like, "Well, but there's a lot of people that missed our show that heard that it was great and are going to say, hey, oh, I want to see.'" I want to see Radio Keys at Vinny's. Yeah, a lot of people. I missed a lot it. of people owe us out there. No, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was it was a Halloween weekend show, so I think a lot of people were doing had a lot of other plans. Radio T Birds for life. Radio yeah, T-Birds. it was it was so much fun, and our our baby's out in the world, and it's been out for uh, like what three weeks, <laughs> three two and a half weeks. Now. Yeah, and it's yeah. getting streamed, uh, and we're happy with with it. It's always once you've spent so much time recording it, it's tough to like listen to it and like not 
notice things where you're like, oh, I wish I had done that or I wish I had done that. But for the most part, uh, you know, I'll go for a while without listening to it. Then I'll say, oh, you know, I'll take a listen to one of these songs that I haven't listened to for a while. Yeah. And it always sounds better than it does in my memory. So yeah, it's I, also I think you, a positive thing. You just have to close the door on it at some point. Like when you finish a painting, you varnish it. You like put this varnish over it and then yeah. you can't like paint over it really yeah. unless you wait like a long time. So I think of it like that. It's like we've we like put this final glaze on it and it's like like that door shut we're done with these songs not like you know what i mean we're done with these recordings and they sound amazing and they're out in the world and it's like pressed and like boom signed sealed delivered we like we just want to get on to the next thing too you know that's like (laughs) oh my god we've been doing these songs for so long we're like oh let's write new songs or like let's get this next uh studio time planned out i was i was i was i was last night tom was working on the led zeppelin cover we're gonna do and then i was working on the stuff that we've been working on on guitar and then i I was um i have these lyrics i've been sitting on forever so i was like trying to write and i'm getting excited about writing again so well you're gonna well what's another exciting update is you're taking guitar lessons now so finally and i think that's a great a great step because it's always uh tough to kind of target what you need to work on or what you think you should work on like Mm -hmm. i mean even for me like i'll kind of just think about a concept that i think i know about but maybe i'm not fluent with right and so then i'll like watch a youtube video and really try to figure it out and i tried to do that with some guitar today and just i think having a targeted plan for what you're doing every day yeah. or for the preceding week, it just makes you want to pick up the guitar that much more. Yeah. Cause, Cause yeah, I, I like having, I think of it as like homework too. Like when I, so I've taken lessons once before. Um, otherwise I'm, I don't even want to say self-taught cause I'm not even like very good. I'm just like, anyway, you taught me some chords and I've just been figuring it out, but I did have lessons with think Montez a long time ago and it felt like homework where I was like, okay, we're learning, um, black. I'm learning Blackbird, so I have to get this down yeah. by next week because I'm going to play it for Nick. And yeah. if I suck, then he's like, "What the fuck?" Oh, I have kids do that all the time. <laughs> he's I had like, a kid I, have a freaking nervous breakdown, or his mom did actually. Oh she was Lord. just like, she was like, "I feel like we're failing you." And I'm oh like, "Dude," God. I was like, "It is not like that. It is <laughs> not like that." I like to say this is one of my go-to sayings at work because people freak out at events and all this stuff. And like, I'm like, look, we're not in a hospital. We're not doing surgery. Like this is not a life and death fucking scenario. Like everybody just needs to take that energy out of it. Cause when you put that energy into shit, like the kind of shit I do at my job and it's just like, dude, it, it doesn't matter. Like, well, that energy <laughs> is what makes kids hate music. Yeah. Or that, not like, hate music, but hate lessons or hate learning how to play music. Well, like putting pressure, this weird pressure. When I was briefly teaching elementary school, after school art, and it was just like basically coloring and I was like a hippie. I was like, just paint what you feel. <laughs> and like their parents would come, it was an arena, their parents would come and be like, are they being challenged and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, dude, it's art. Like fucking chill. Like let this be there. Yeah. Like let them, let them enjoy it yeah let them embrace it they don't they don't need to worry about their parents like critiquing their they're like stanford artwork (laughs) (laughs) fucking yeah they're never gonna get in the stanford without bullshit kid fourth grade like just let them like every kid needs like a little like outlet where there's no pressure on it like yeah especially because like half these kids they're like guitar is my life like they show up with like nirvana t-shirts and like oh But anyway, just to kind of quickly gloss over our record release, because we're super happy with it, and it's on, you know, all those streaming services. We're working on getting vinyls and CDs, but it's really freaking expensive. Who knew those took so long? And they also take forever. They take for they take like four to six weeks. Um, We still have to pull together uh, 
the insert uh, I don't want to call it we have the album art quote unquote but like the insert the sleeve that the record's in I yeah. want to put lyrics on there so Carrie and I are going to oh, work yeah. on that that's so awesome yeah it's going to be cool much in it. it's, it's going to be really cool but we have to do it through a certain format so yeah there's okay. there's just things have taken long but it's it's like we were telling people at our release shows because they were like can I buy a CD and it's like for now it's, it's like, like just go stream it it's yeah. on YouTube for God's sake like even our parents can figure that out yeah. um, and then obviously Spotify and all that I've stuff been, I've been whoring it out to my teeth uh, my students i've been like listen to this listen to this and then i've actually had a few come back and they've like uh, told me they want to learn songs that are on it which no. is awesome yeah which songs well, one kid <laughs> wanted to learn sweet soul music sweet soul is a standout yeah. for sure that's a fun one that's i get a lot of feedback about that one in hey hey charles and, and other, i hope it's not just because hey hey charles yeah. is the first no, fucking song I but think, people I mean, really like it unfortunately it's just the way society is now like with spotify and everything people don't listen to records as like front to back records they just kind of listen to what's there and like yeah that's why I was kind of bummed about Let It Shine on the end, but I think it works well. And it'll, it'll we're going to have a around. single coming out this Friday that's just Let It Shine. Right. So we're hoping that it gets a With little a more traction that way. Yeah. yeah. Well, and um, yeah, I forgot what I was going to say. So <laughs> yeah, just to throw it out, we uh, traveled down to Santa Barbara on the 19th. Yes. And... Um, or on the 18th, we traveled down yep. and just kind of had a night out on the town with the with some of our close friends out there, mm-hmm. and it kind of devolved quickly <laughs> into this some, like wild some party. Pretty ridiculous and photos. we had our fingers crossed on whether or not the record was actually going to come out on the 19th or yeah. not because it was like really up in the air. They yeah. said it was, but we were like, nah, I don't know. And then at about 11 o'clock in in the evening on the 18th before yeah. the 19th it hit all the streaming services like East Coast time and yeah. we just w- were so elated. Yeah. And we kind of celebrated the release right then Yeah, and I kind of, you know, killed myself that night and the <laughs> next day I was like kind of MIA for most of you the events. You were fine and then, and then, um, and then, yeah, Saturday we took it kind of chill and then, uh, and then had our, our well, release Tom show. Tom didn't take it too chill. <laughs> He's Tom. like, I got this day glow going. I need to get rid of it <laughs> on Saturday. Don't you remember that? What does that mean? It means you get a little day buzz. <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. Because like, I feel like I'm trying to remember. I think oh, I went like shopping with Amber. I was trying to find a good jumpsuit. And um, I found a dope one for our next show. It's all oh, denim. No. It's super 70s. It's oh, a denim no. jumpsuit. It's lit. Anyway, we were like shopping all day. So we weren't drinking. But but I left Alante and Tom like at a bar for like three hours. So they just. By the time we got to them, they were just like, well, oh, we got a truck. And it was like yeah. 2 p.m. Um, and yeah, we got some amazing Mexican food and then took a breather at the house and then it's went out. It's pretty easy to get amazing Mexican food in Santa Barbara. Yeah, it's it's hard like, to it's get not hard. Food, you yeah. just walk around and whatever you find is going to be pretty darn good. Yeah. But yeah, the show went really well. Um, I thought we sounded good. Um, the Frisbee community is strong in Santa Barbara. The community is strong. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like the, all all the people that came out. Um, I loved the opening band, Sweethearts. Great Left guys. Hand yeah. Shout yeah. out Tom and Curtis. I had a long chat with their lead singer afterwards. What's his name? Mason was one of them. Abel. Well, it was something like the really lead strong. singer is Tom. Yeah, that's Tom. Oh right, right. And then oh god, yeah. Ooh, quiz. Yeah, I don't tough. remember. I don't know if I actually met the other guys. I did, and I feel bad. Um, they thought they thought that I think they thought that when we all got there, they thought that James was in the band and I wasn't in the band. And I'm not even trying to make it like a boy uh-huh. girl thing, yeah. but I think they just looked at like James setting shit up and was like, "Okay, James is in the band, Alante yeah. and blah blah blah." And I was like, 
me too. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Um, so I didn't meet. I don't think I met all of them. There were a few confusions and a few things about the show that we wish we could have improved upon. Not really our personal mm. stuff, but just. Outside stuff. Outside stuff. Well, but that but kind of shit always happens and you just can't really let it shake you too much. But it, I, it, I think we might try a different venue next time we go to Santa Barbara. I just want to branch out. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to branch out and try new venues and, and see what kind of natural crowds go to those venues. Totally. And then, you know, our Santa Barbara crowd will follow us, I, I think. I think so, yeah. Yeah, they're not going to be like, oh, it's not Dargan's? Well, I'll stay home. Like, they'll definitely come out. It's more the out. free aspect of it. Like, I don't want to oh, charge no ch- yeah. my friends like $10, $15 and like people I'm close with to come out. It's like, I'd rather have them just have come out and have a good time. Yeah, I agree. And like, just have the venue pay what's fair because they're going to be getting bar tabs, you know? Like, that's oh, their bar tab has to be insane our at our come shows. Out, yeah. You get your bar tabs and we get paid. That's yeah. what it should be. It shouldn't be about like my friends standing at the door being like, oh, God, should we uh, pay $15, $10? Well, to and you're, you, Marge and I talked a little about this, um, like with the backyard shows where no one's paying a cover, where it's like the cover... I mean, it should go to the band, but like when a bar has a cover and you still get paid this weird amount, I just, I always get kind of, although at Vinny's, it works out really well when Tom books Vinny's and we just take the door and he splits that up between the bands. It's always really good. Yeah. So, I mean, we can, we can, we can play with it, but I mean, that was what our fourth show at Dargan's. Maybe that's, maybe that's the last time. Maybe it's not. We'll see. Yeah. But, um, and then the following week is when we played the Vinny's Halloween show, which I was worried about because it was. Halloween weekend and it was a Halloween show. And our boys Overland just played the night before and we're right. like running in the same circles and they had a Forest, Forest Day. Day who's a slightly bigger Bay Area name than us. Oh yeah, and, he and we're, headlines mountain vibe. And it was also a uh, Halloween costume show and we're like, oh shit. Well, like, I had a couple people text me. And it's me. a day before so we thought yeah. we got like, we're like, Saturday, oh no. It was a Saturday day before Halloween so I had a couple girlfriends text me and be like, Emily, I really want to come to your show. I have this I've had these other plans forever, like Halloween yeah. plans. And I was just like, fuck, I, I was worried that that was going to be an issue. But dude, that place was packed. It, it was, was packed. it was the most packed I've seen it. And there were definitely some surprise uh, people that showed up where I was like, that I haven't seen in a radio key show in literally years. Yeah. Um, I mean, Tom's dad showed up. Um, he comes to radio key shows, but it, he drives far. So I was surprised. And then, um, Choir Matt teacher. Pullinger, yeah, our choir, choir teacher, teacher showed, up. showed up. Uh, our dad showed up. Our dad showed up. <laughs> our brother showed up who'd had a baby like a week before. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, a lot of our family, a lot of Amber's family. It was, it was a great turnout. A lot of obviously our old high school buddies. Um, yeah. And, and then just like the people that came in costume to Vinny's on a Saturday night had a great time and we're dancing and like, yeah, we had a couple. Um, oh, and shout out to my evergreen soul for murdering Bob O'Reilly. Oh my God. I oh lost my, my God. mind. I lost my mind too. I'm like, they're not really playing because you hear that <laughs> opening, that opening <laughs> like synth, you know, that opening synth riff. And I'm just like, I'm like, they're not doing it. Are they? They're like, we're going to do a cover that we need help with. And I was like, what is this going to be? And then, yeah, yeah. Once that synth, I was like, they're not really doing this. Are they? And then, sure enough just the, i mean they dun, have a pianist they have dun, a killer dun. lead singer who plays guitar and violin yeah so they nailed every single piece of the puzzle and it was just like so fucking awesome oh, it's one so of the best good. covers i've ever seen a local band do and i'm not they, trying and they to, absolutely killed i'm it. not trying to like be like you know and too weird about it but i no, was just like was, oh my god i loved like, it i was and, like this is awesome and at the very end he uh you were standing right next to me you were like hey better hey better play the violin at the end <laughs> and then he sure enough he put his guitar down and he grabbed the violin and well ah, yeah, yeah. and he does that winner that weird solo shit at the end yeah 
Oh, I'm probably making the worst up. sound effects. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's people so are like, fun. What are they saying? <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure some people in the were like, "What fucking song is this?" But I was losing it. I thought it was great. Yeah. It's a uh, you know Bob O'Reilly for the people listening. Bob O'Reilly, also known as Teenage, Teenage Wasteland. Yeah. Oh, yeah. AKA. And then um, Bully West played and they killed it. I had like three people come up to me and be like, "How?" And I told Manny this. They were like, "How does he?" talk after he sings like that like how is his he, voice is so how intense. is he physically yeah. doing that and i'm just like dude is a singer i don't know it's yeah. insanity like he sounds so good he does sound good and they sound good it was just like a all of our i mean my evergreen soul and us we're just starting to play with them and i'm oh, i really respect guys, their musicianship yeah. and i really want them to play with us more but um i mean we we go way back with bully west and we go way, way back with vince and all the guys in sabertooth unicorn they weren't they sabertooth were unicorn fun, yeah. yet when we knew them but They've we know a everyone couple, yeah a couple bands um but yeah, everyone brought a their job. a game for sure that's such a great uh, group of people too in sabertooth um i don't i don't understand like cuz it would be easy for us to like pick a bunch of like lamer bands to have open for us when we were releasing a record and try to like look super cool like oh i know some bands that do that you know what i mean make any sense like oh we want to stand out like yeah but it's like in my mind you just you just have all of the the best bands there and then it elevates everyone's game you're like oh well bully west just murdered it and i have to go up now so yeah i just well but (laughs) the way i feel like and it's like let's not even try to compare ourselves because we're At the end of the different. day, like what's what's really good about playing a show with a bunch of good bands is that the audience gets stoked on it. Like a really good band plays and the audience is in a good spot. And then you yeah. get on and they're already in a good spot. Like when a shitty, boring ass band plays and people leave and like people walk yeah. outside and then you have to win the audience back. That's not a no, that's not that's the, not a win. Yeah, I like to go after a great band. I'm like, yeah, let's yeah, let's I, get on now. Like let's get on as fast as possible I feel before the same people way. leave. Yeah. So they all played great and like there's something about my evergreen soul that was so that stood out to me in like the way he played the violin yeah. like through all of the effect pedals oh that was awesome excuse me well it reminded it was, me of how the west grand boys all have uh yeah. effect pedals for their horns and i'm he like did this, oh, I didn't he know did this one thing. thing where he like put on this octave pedal so it like brought his violin down like f- so many octaves so it sounded like a string bass but still had that like kind oh, of clarity awesome. that a violin has and it was like the most intense sound i was just like what is going on they just kind of blew my mind i, I like i me knew too. they were good but they really they really are they have such cool sound like their sound is just really cool yeah and i mean the black angels or something like i guess we've technically played with them at mountain vibe but and also in their backyard barbecue we had we had to ditch because we were going to the a's game afterwards yeah we couldn't so i had and you were sick I was dying. I I felt like uh i felt like that was our our first show together and hopefully hopefully many more yeah. Um, so yeah, and then we played, uh, we did the time warp, we did maybe like a 90 minute set. Um, I think a little more, I think close to two hours. Close to two hours. Yeah. It, it felt really fast. I remember feeling like we got to get out of here because it was late by the time we finished. I was like, we should get out of here. It flew by. Yeah. I, at some point, Tom was like, last song, last song. And I was like, really? Like, I was mm-hmm. pretty clueless. But um, yeah, I I, thought I felt really good about it. I felt felt really happy with it and now i feel like we got like a two second like rest and now we're like hitting the ground running again with booking and stuff so we've got a lot ahead we are hitting the ground and we have a lot of announcements that'll be coming up at the end of the show but at the end of the show but we have a very exciting uh thing that we're covering today um every time we do a rewind we like i go through all these crazy ideas of stuff we want to do and we go back and forth on it and um i can't 
remember how this came about. I can't remember <laughs> if I cried <laughs> if I saw But um but I like the idea. It's something it's something that uh that you know, we've been listening to since we were kids. Um I have a very distinct memory of you specifically playing this song Ad over and fucking <laughs> over again. Like when we had the vinyl player in our parents' living room and you were just like back to A, back to yep. A. I, I've that inherited that. annoying. It was. I've inherited it. That's why I know every <laughs> word. I've inherited that record. And like I realized when I first inherited it, like when I was like 17 and like listened to the full thing, I was like, oh my God, I've never heard, heard this full record before. Yeah. I've only heard American Pie no, and I then mean, back to I the love beginning. The, <laughs> like, because he's more of a folk artist, I think it's fair to yeah. say. But I love how American Pie has like a, a cool, like, it has a beautiful, like, piano backbone to it yeah. like a rock and roll almost like boogie woogie piano yeah. and i wanted to i've got the names i want to give a shout out to paul griffin yeah. who uh performed the piano and um yeah it, it, don mclean obviously vocals and acoustic guitar but i really think the piano plays like such an underrated role in this in this whole uh yeah recording you know and so that's one thing that really drew me to it was actually the piano part in addition to all the lyrics because my i remember my parents growing up uh, they were like, we're not, I don't remember my parents growing up. I remember my parents saying when I was growing up, like that this song has like a bunch of coded meanings and they would tell me like, yeah, it's like, you know ooh. how like in the seventies when they're all talking about like Paul being dead and right, shit, right. like, um, there's like all these like kind of whispered truths, like handing down from one person, like it's a telephone game, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like there's that. There's no with, Reddit. They're just yeah. all, <laughs> it was kind of like that with, like, if you play with American with the Wizard Pie, of Oz, it'll fuck my mom would be like, you know. <laughs> that's Janis Joplin that she was talking about yeah you know, I like have, stuff I like have that. snippet memories of that too of them being like this is about she's this like thing. sweet perfume is marijuana yeah well, like thanks mom <laughs> thanks mom for the insider <laughs> tip yeah. Um, yeah so the song American Pie eight and a half minutes long I believe um, longest song in length to hit number one on the Hot 100 and the single was split into two sides I'd love to get a hold of that single, the little the little record. Where, where you would play it cut? Half ex- that's exactly. It says uh, uh, the forty five did not have enough room for the whole song, so the A side ran to four minutes ele- and eleven seconds, and the B side was four thirty one. You had to flip the record in the middle. Uh, disc jockeys usually played the album version at full length, uh, so they could take like a break because it's eight and a half minutes long. That's crazy. I'm gonna find the four minute eleven second mark. Hold up, we're doing it. Four minutes so and eleven seconds. So you have American Pie. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna. Sh- I'm going to scoot up 411. Yeah, here we go. Watch, he's midward. So that's it right there. Fat. Fallen fat. That's a creepy ass time to stop Fallen it. Fallen fat. Ooh, I, mean, I just got the chills <laughs> thinking about that. That's weird how little things like that can creep you out. Huh? Yeah. Um, ooh, anyway. Um, yeah, so I like the... Um, so there's. Look, we're just going to dive in and sort of like... Can we just kind of basically say, like, before we start, that the mm-hmm. reason why we're doing this is not just because we're admiring his craftsmanship. Right. I mean, we are and to a certain extent, but the reason why we're talking about it is because it's famously, there's so many hidden meanings right. in this song, and it all has to do with rock and roll history from, you know, the 50s to the... I guess early 70s. When was this written? 71? Six, they say about 69 to 71. Yeah, so... There's so much it. to decode in the lyricism of the right. song that actually, you know, trickles down into actual historical events and music. Right. So, and it also helps that Don McLean was really close to the vest. Yeah. And he has this quote 
about the song. Yeah. Uh, you will find many interpretations of my lyrics, but none of them by me. Sorry to leave you all on your own like this, but long ago I realized that songwriters should make their statements and move on, maintaining a dignified silence. Thanks, Don. Thanks, so Don. So he didn't say shit for... I was going to say, and then in 2015, yeah, he's he like, I'll tell, you guys what I, I'll tell you guys what I was talking about. He needed about. 1.2 I read, million. I read that article and I was like, um, well, he just sold, well, we'll get into that later, but he just sold the uh, little handwritten yeah. uh, version of the song. I couldn't a get a hold of, of, I couldn't really read his handwriting. I was trying to like decipher. Oh, I was trying to too. And I was like, I can't read his handwriting. Dude, I, <laughs> but yes, apparently it has it. a bunch of clues because it has like some scratched out lyrics Ooh. which uh lead to like oh, what his a, actual intention was behind the lyrics so which hidden, if you want to really verse. get neck deep in this thing you can go ahead and try to read that um but we didn't really do so that. the one thing that he did admit pretty early on um is that he did and now i won't be able to find the quote but he did admit that yeah the the sort of core backbone of the song is based on uh the plane going down with buddy holly big bopper well, I, and Richie Valens. Me reading this just as like a very, you know, um, what's it called? Macroscopic level. Yeah. It looks like it starts out as him just trying to talk about his own emotions and feelings right. when Buddy Holly went down because Buddy Holly was like his childhood oh, hero. Oh, his, his hero, yeah. So remembering, you know, how he felt, Bye Bye Miss American Pie, I think that kind of kind of you know talks about america right. and then i think if i were to put myself in his shoes like once he got to like oh we could talk about america and the trajectory of american music and yeah the trajectory of american politics and throw it all into one yeah like that's kind of where i saw his mind going because i think it started out just kind of like a harmless like yeah you know, well i think song about his childhood and his feelings about the event so he has um he does have a quote uh, that I do want to say from... So it starts with a long, long time ago. Um, so this is a Don McLean quote. I still remember this light going off in my head. I was sitting in my little room writing my songs and thinking about Buddy Holly and just how sad that was and how much I loved that guy and how much I loved his music and how much I felt for him. I started to write a long, long time ago about how it felt when I was a paper boy and I opened up these papers and this whole fantasy came out and the song was written. So that's kind of how it started. So you're totally on the nose. Um, and then there's some more quotes I have from him as we get deeper into lyrics, but do you want to just, uh, so we're not going to go entirely line by line, but we're going to talk about a lot about the big lines. So he wrote this song in 1971 about the 1950s and Uh the first verse is kind of, you know, just talking about his childhood in the 1950s. Yeah. Um, I think he probably always knew that he wanted to be an entertainer. Yeah. So he has these songs like, and I knew if I had my chance, I could make these people people dance. And yeah. Back in the day, that's what music was mainly for. Back in the f- yeah, fifties yeah, specifically, dancing. it was like let's let's write dancing music. Yeah. Um. So I knew if I had my chance, I could make those people dance. Maybe they'd be happy for a while. And then the first really like heavy lyric I think is February made me shiver. That's pretty specific. Um. So that's alluding to February third, nineteen fifty nine, is the day that. Big Bopper, Buddy Holly, uh, Don's Hero, and Richie Valens go down in a car crash. And oh, I have a couple facts about that. Oh, my God. I was watching this video about this. Yeah. 
and this guy was talking about this crash and he yeah. kept saying Richie Valens over and Ooh. over again, like Van Halen, but put together Valens. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and that's I was rough. like, Ooh, I was Ooh, just cringing. I, I was like 17 year old Richie Valens is like just spinning me. in his grave. Oh, I know he's 17. He was, and so I think he was 17 when he died. I'm I pretty, have a, yeah. So, sure. um, February 3rd, 1959, uh, Buddy Holly, Richie Valens and the big bopper whose real name is JP Richardson killed in a plane crash, uh, near Clear, Clear Lake, Iowa with pilot Roger, Peterson, the pilot uh, was 21 years old and he was a local pilot described as a quote unquote young married man who built his life around flying. Buddy Holly was 22. Richie Valens was 17 and the big bopper was 28. Um, so basically they were all on a tour um, together it was uh, like a last minute tour too. Right. And apparently like and the it was buses the, were breaking down. And it was so goddamn cold everywhere they went. And like it was snowing and like their buses were cold. And like there's a little rumor that like Buddy Holly just like wanted to wash his clothes. So he wanted to get to the town faster. And that's why he was like taking this plane. And um, so also um, so in Buddy Holly's band at the time is a young Waylon Jennings who was going to fly. Um, he ends up being this big country star, right? Um, so it looks like Big Bopper, uh, was sick and he asked Waylon Jennings if he could have his seat. Um, and then when Buddy Holly learned that Waylon Jennings wasn't going to be on the plane, he joked to him, I hope your bus freezes up. And then, did you hear about this? No. Then Waylon Jennings famously responded as a joke, I hope your plane crashes. Um, they were like joking back and forth. That was forth. before Waylon Jennings was like big. Yeah. Right? And he says that haunted him for the rest of his life. Um, but anyway, so so yeah, so those That's four. Like, so uh, it's supposed that, to be Waylon Jennings instead of the big. That bopper. reminds me of the Stevie Ray Vaughan helicopter death. His uh, his brother Jimmy Vaughn, I think, was supposed to be the one in the helicopter, and oh. uh, Stevie Ray was like running late or some Isn't shit. That, so and then also uh, Richie Valens. I I think Richie Valens like there was some coin toss with another member of Buddy Holly's band, and Richie Valens got on the plane. So like there, it was all pretty. Which what is random. Richie Valens' big hit again? La Bamba, right? Is it La Bamba? Para balar a La Bamba, se necesita un poco de gracia. Um, and he has another one too. Yeah, La Bamba. Yeah, and then he's the big baby. one by the big bopper was Chantilly Lace. Chantilly. Hey, lady. I love, <laughs> <there you> go. <laughs> it's the big bopper speaking. It's he so, always does yeah. that. <laughs> oh, man. There's, I, think, I think it's Walk the Line. There's a pretty good like scene of the big bopper. I'm pretty sure it's Walk the Line. It's either Walk the Line or Walk yeah. Hard. I don't remember. No, it's not Walk Hard. <laughs> I mix hard. those films up so much. Dewey Cox is basically so the big hilarious. bopper. Just picture Dewey Cox. Um, so anyway... <laughs> um, yeah, so that's basically, yeah, so the the plane takes off. Again, we have a fucking 21-year-old pilot. Plane takes off, and within, I think, pretty pretty soon into the flight, they hit this storm that the plane is not really equipped to deal with, and they go straight down. Yeah, and, you know, I used to be in the aircraft insurance industry. Oh, yeah, aviation And uh, this is kind of what was our bread and butter is, you know, like which planes go down and what types of planes. And this was, and in what weather uh, this was called a Beechcraft Bonanza. And it was one of those tinier planes. Oh, um, never get in a small yeah. plane, dude. Just don't it do a, it. Just one of the, hold, let me just, check. just don't get in a tiny plane. It was the, yeah, the beach. beach and craft. there's a, there's a bad rumor that the plane was called American pie, but that's, that's complete 
bullshit just so we all know it's just is it really bullshit that'd be cool if it was it would be cool but i think that was just a bad weird rumor oh, that's, that's that one out. of those paula's dead things yeah well <laughs> the, after the song came out they're like yeah. that's what the plane was called and it's like that's not what the plane was called. there's always some asshole like in just his making shit up. mom's garage like smoking <laughs> the fattest joint and he's like you know oh. man you know man it's so pie. so that's 1959 um so don mclean is 12 when that happens and he was a paper boy at the time um so he the rumor is or how he i don't know if don said this or this is just what we assume happened because he was a paper boy at the time is that he learned that news by like opening the front page of the paper he was about to deliver and seeing that his like hero had died Mm. and that's why so it's uh february made me shiver with every paper i delivered bad news on the doorstep i couldn't take one more step like it stopped him so i have a weird question you might not Mm. know the answer to oh was this called was that referred to as the day the music died before this song i don't think so i think that's don that came up with the day the music died because i think he talks about coming up with the idea of this is the day the music i think yeah i don't i don't think i think don came up because it has a wikipedia page now it's like the it day the music died does, and it's like but the i crack. think i think that's because of don mclean's song i believe yeah it would be cool it'd be cool it would but. be but i don't think yeah and i saw some of the headlines and i don't think that's what it was um and so then a really sad detail uh the line i can't remember if i cried when i read about his widowed bride so buddy holly's buddy holly is again is 22 uh his wife maria elena is pregnant at the time yeah and has a miscarriage shortly after she learns of so his buddy death. holly didn't have any children right but he would have isn't yeah. that so yeah, so fucking tragic um yeah. Yeah, you know she, he's like a hologram now. Oh no! <laughs> I think he's the one on one of those hologram. I hate it. It's so he's weird. He's back, baby. Um. So then, um. So yeah, she found out uh via a news report. Um, which is yeah, she was six months, uh, widow after only six months of marriage. Sorry, uh, and then she suffered the miscarriage. Um, and then he says something touched me deep inside the day the music died. So Don quote. Buddy Holly's death to me was a personal tragedy. As a child, I had no idea that nobody else felt that way. Um, I mean, I went to school and mentioned it, and people would say, so what? Uh, but I carried this sort of yearning and longing and tragedy about it. So he'd, he'd been sort of carrying that for almost 10 years by the yeah. time he actually wrote the song about it. Well, which then was at he the end says, of the 60s, you know, the yeah. iconic line, the day the music died, is the first time. Right. All right, so the chorus, we'll hop into the chorus now because it starts slow and then he gets into the, the fast stuff. So bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Um, and I think I think that this is kind of just about like America, American symbiology and like idealism. Yeah. Like, you know, like Ameri- what's more American than, you know, American, apple pie, apple American pie, and, pie then, and then Miss yeah. America. Miss like, American it's like, it's just like a bunch of images. He kind of mashed them together. Yeah. yeah. So that's where I think it comes from. And that's where I think a lot of people think it comes it's from. It's interesting when these big events happen at the end of a decade, like the fact that they all died at the end of the fifties in 1959. I think of it like, uh, John Lennon being assassinated at the end of the seventies. Like, I think he got assassinated in 1980 and it's like at the end of an era and it's like you go into the new era without this big figure from the previous era. I think Billie Holiday too died in 
I think 49 or 59. I feel terrible. Manderside, I, I think, that. in 1970. Yeah. Well, Jimmy, Janice, and Jim yeah. all died between 69 and 70. I think it was Jimmy first, then Janice, and then Jim in 1970. So it's interesting when these big figures I think Janice die and at Jim the died end in 1971. of a decade. But early 1971. Yeah. And then there's a lot of other things in it's 1969 CIA, that happened you. that are like, I mean, well, we'll get into that shit later. <laughs> but um, so bye bye, Miss American Pie. And then I. I didn't want to bring in his 2015 quote, but he does have a quote from 2015. Um, he says, basically, American Pie, in American Pie, things are heading in the wrong direction. Uh, it's becoming less ideal. Uh, I don't know whether you consider that wrong or right, but it's a morality song in a sense. I was around in 1970, and now in 2015, there's no poetry and little romance and anything, so it's really like the last phase of American Pie. He's, it's kind of a bleak song, and I like. I think that people tend to... Um, sort of glorify um, and like romanticize their childhood decade. Like if, if the 50s was his childhood decade, like when you're a kid, you don't see all the shitty things that are going on. So he's not, there's a lot of shitty things going on in the 50s, right? Just, totally. I mean, basic racism and sexism is obviously the biggest mm -hmm. of it, but like, and a lot of terrible things, but he's a kid. So he's just seeing like and in, I mean, the music and the movies good in and middle the, class white America. Yeah. And he's in the cool cars and like yeah. teenagers dancing. So I that's, mean, there was that's a lot his of cool version shit about of, it. There's definitely a lot of oh, cool definitely. shit about yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. The but, music is amazing. Yeah. the mu And it was a renaissance, you know, in terms of, of that, that rock and roll, like breaking through. And it's, you know, people are like looking at Elvis, like he's There's some sort of fucking evil alien. Sock hops. It seems like a yeah. good time. Yeah. And, and so he's, again, he's like, he's under 10, you know? So he's, he's getting just sort of the, the happy version of the fifties. So of course he's going to like, I think memorialize and like romanticize mm -hmm. that time period for a long time. And his hero is like one of the biggest things in music at the time. But yeah. Holly. so, so the next line of the chorus is drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. I think the Chevy is just, you know, an American car. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's, totally. I think that's as far as that part goes, and also that it rhymes with this levee thing. Which, <laughs> I read a lot of things where it's like, yeah. it just rhymes with levee. Yeah, the levee, <laughs> which, yeah. apparently, and you wrote this down, so. Uh, yeah, I, I found that he grew up in a New Rochelle, uh, Rochelle, New York. Um, when there was I'm a sure place, they say like Rosh, Rochel or some shit like that. Someone's gonna get mad yeah. at me. I don't care. For sure they will. Um, but he would listen to music and party at a place called the Levee. Um, and sometimes when that place was closed, so maybe he's making like a little metaphor when the Levee was dry. Um, but Stop then serving alcohol. Also a le yeah. Also a Levee is like, isn't it like a? It's something that blocks water. Right. It's like in in. Uh, New Orleans, when there's like a hurricane or whatever, they build yeah. the levees up to like stop right. the water from flooding. So maybe like in the 50s, we drive your Chevy to this area. But it's in like, I mean, think about like kids partying in cars in the 50s and they go to like a desolate place to like party and yeah. it's probably somewhere like that. In the levees. Anyway, it's kind of a metaphor there. Um, um, yeah, and McLean and his friends would drive across the river and scout for places to drink and have fun. Yeah, I, I think about that kind of like when you're too young to go to bars and you're just like looking for somewhere to hang out, you would go somewhere rural like like a levee. I'm sure when, I mean, yeah. we used to just go to Slakey's. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that parking lot. Uh, in, uh, exactly. Concord slash Martinez. So then the next line is them good old boys are drinking whiskey and rye singing this will be the day that I die, which is a fun, uh, you know, illusion and uh, quote of the Buddy Holly 
song, you know, yeah. that'll be this'll the day. Be, I never fucking connected that. I read that online and I was like, God, that's so obvious. This'll be the day that I die. And then Buddy Holly has, that'll be the day that I die. And I was yeah. just like, duh. It was just like one of those like dumb moments. I was like, oh my God, he's really connecting yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And good old boys drinking whiskey and rye. I mean, I hate the term. The term good old boys sucks now, unfortunately. Um, but I think it's it could be... Um, what's fun about this... I try this, not to think about it in a hateful way. I, I like to think about it as like a nice word for like rednecks. Oh, he's a good yeah. old boy. Like I don't think of it... Like a lot of people think of it in like a term of like, like racism now because there well, is a lot the of that. I think the proud boys kind of well, that's proud boys. Right. They're, not, they're not the good old boys. Like, yeah. Want to know what's hilarious? It was the funniest thing I heard about our Halloween costume. Just a little throwback to our Halloween costume. Right? Oh yeah, we were greasers. So, so we were greasers. So we had the the blue jeans, the white, you know, tight shirts, the Ray Bans, and the leather jackets. And Alante was like man, it's going to get really hot. I'm just going to throw this off. And then his buddy was like, then you guys will just look like the Proud Boys if you throw Oh, no. <laughs> God damn it. They can't have everything. So I was like, oh, my God. We, did we accidentally dress up like the Fuck, Proud Boys? I, I literally shirt? like, I was like, greasers is the easiest thing we can be. Oh, and I like God. sent you guys photos of like the outsiders, like from the film and like the guys from Greece. And I, yeah, I didn't even think like, about are fucking you, are white you trash Hitler? shitty people. No, I'm Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. that literally happened uh, to me at work. I dressed up at work because my team was like, everyone's dressing up. So I dressed up and I got there and fucking no one was dressed up. And I was like, oh, okay. Now I, feel, <laughs> I was literally Pam from the office where I was like, oh, people don't dress up here. Cool. Yeah, I, uh, so I just I, took my leather jacket off and tried dude, to like, I uh, lost make myself my look corporate normal. job last year on Halloween. And they're like, you should come dressed up, Stu. And I was like, literally like, like five minutes away that morning from dressing up like freaking CW Stone King in a white suit and a skeleton mask and oh. then getting fired. Oh, <laughs> like, that would have been so bad. fucked up. How embarrassing would that have been? Oh, that would have been really oh rude of them. God. But luckily I didn't. Jesus I didn't dress them up. <laughs> assholes i know um but anyway good old boys i think um i think i think it, I, I like to think of good old boys as just like a bunch of rural boys you know well and that's what he's talking about because he does this this cool thing in the song and i'll read a quote about it in a second but like where he's he's taking his real life sort of um uh bi biographical uh perspective and then writing this big song which yeah. is the best way to do songwriting where it's like you're you're taking your own experience and putting that in there and the first verse sorry i guess it'd be the first fast verse so the second verse the did you write the book of love that whole verse to me is very um like people try to well, connect like, it with bigger remember things how we but talked it's, about, it's about him remember we talked about how like there are uh certain parts of a song that mm -hmm. is illustrated in the way the song is performed. Right, you know, right. Like we talk about this we, all the time. We can yeah. never remember the word, right. but <laughs> like <laughs> Even he's me and talking talk about, it, yeah. about the 50s and it's right. dancing and it's, you know, in the gym with these big dances and yeah. it's, did you write the book of love, you know, mm -hmm. rock and roll and all this thing and all of a sudden the song picks up and it's a rock and roll song yeah. all of a sudden, which is like really cool. Like yeah. it goes from this super sad, you know, more his chords. style because yeah. if you listen to the rest of his record by the way the second song on this record is like the most beautiful song of all time i think it's called till tomorrow i think it's the second song anyway his, the Very rest like of this starry, record is like night. folk oh vincent yeah, yeah. It's, it's on there too i think number two is till tomorrow and it's like one of my favorite songs and um yeah but he like his style is folk and so he's sort of you're right he's taking He's speeding it up and making it a 50 song. He talks about speeding it up too. I have a quote, but um, anyway, um, so we can 
dive into, let's I guess it's the second the verse. One, so yeah. did you write the book of love? So you found, and once you found this song by the monotones, 19, it's 58. Um, I wrote 68, but it's 58. Um, who wrote the book of love? And I remember again, that fucking pink fifties compilation vinyl. Yeah. Our parents had that I cannot find and it's killing me. I swear to God, like it's somewhere that was one of the biggest Influences. impacts on our like, Oh, young, for sure. <laughs> young we listen to that so much. And I remember, yeah. um, well, there's two songs I specifically remember with the bass guy singer. And one of them was, bah, bah, da, bah, bah, good night, sweetheart. Yeah, good and night, I was like, Oh, yeah. I, I didn't think it was a human being doing that. And this <laughs> song does the same thing. Oh, I wonder, wonder who, Ooh. like it's it has old, this super old, low it's bass wonder ball commercial it's it's basically like a um a wonder ball what's <laughs> yeah well i'm sure they paid them um but yeah so it's a song by the monotone Maybe so did you write the him. book of love i wonder who wrote so i was writing down the chapters and i was like praying to god that There'd the be chapters some. had something to do with his verses and I don't think you can. I listened. It. I listened to this song <laughs> I before I came over, and I'm it. like, yeah, I, yeah. Chapter one says to love her. You will love her with all your heart. Chapter and I was two, like, well, never, maybe he's talking about like park. the first verse. He's talking about how much he loved like Buddy Holly and like rock and roll music. And then I was like, actually, this isn't going anywhere. I think he's just yeah. I think <laughs> yeah. he's just like connecting. Um, yeah. And do you have faith in God above? The Bible tells you so. So there's another song um, in 1955. I think he's just he's pulling in some really strong 50s references to 50s just song music titles. yeah song titles but he's like basically moonlit moon drive. Drive. Yeah. um if the bible tells you so uh so don don cornell wrote the bible tells me so in 1955 um uh, and then this was the one that i would never i thought was a little bit of a stretch but do you believe in rock and roll so people think he's talking about the 19 but that doesn't make any sense the loving spoonful 1965 yeah i think a lot of people like to do you believe in magic this is another we should throw in one of those what's it called uh disclaimers like anything we say here is just what we found like on the internet and oh, stuff like, like before that like our, uh, there's Elvis no is alive. there's no like there's <laughs> no you know fact checking don mclean like signing off on any of these it's just no, like it's all fun. this is like the popular you know, this is us idea. diving into websites yeah. literally dedicated to this song. It's yeah. insane. Um, can but music save your mortal I soul? Think, I think what this has to do is, and I think it actually ties in later in the end of the song, which I'll get into, but this is kind of talking about, again, like that apple pie American, you know, I'm a, you know, a God-loving, God-fearing Christian, and uh, my yeah. family, we're going it's to the dance. The Bible and, and it's like, the Bible tells, you know, do you have faith in God above? The Bible tells you so. Do you believe in rock and roll? And then it starts tying in music and rock and roll right. on the same plane as religion. Yeah. And, and do you how believe? it can be a form of religion, well, maybe. And apparently this uh, Love and Spoonful song that does come out before he writes American Pie, but after the 50s. Um, do you believe in magic? Um, apparently, and I... I didn't like read all the lyrics, but apparently it's about sort of like believing in the magic of rock and roll, almost like you just said, almost in like a religious, like spiritual way. Like, do you believe in the power of rock and roll? So, so maybe he is referencing that, that song. Tough, tough. Um, doesn't stand the test of time. Can you believe in a young girl's heart? <laughs> I love the Love and Spoonful. Um, oh, it's real. I tough. love the Darling Be Home Soon is one of the greatest songs. <laughs> um, and he plays that song at a Woodstock acoustic, and he's just on all the drugs. It like if you watch the video <laughs> like i got super into love and spoonful um and that song darling be home soon 
darling be home soon and then i'm like oh there's a live video of him doing it at woodstock and he's like got an acoustic guitar and he's just just on acid like he looks, I, like, he's in, <laughs> he looks like he's in the chucky e. cheese oh, he's, band he's every, just like everybody's on the same page as him though and his little acoustic guitar is like not loud enough and like it's it's a beautiful video i'm not trying to talk shit he just looks like so, so like high. into it like just it's crazy off like everyone else he's blast they're yeah. all blasting off yeah um anyway um can you teach me how to dance real slow and then we get into this 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 is like the most mysterious part of the song to me before i started kind of looking into it the i know that you're in love with him because i saw you dancing in the gym so i'm like what what is he referencing here and i was diving into these websites being like who is he talking about because the rest of the song he's like referencing other things but i'm like what is he referencing here and then i found this really nice quote from him um don mclean uh, it is biographical in nature, and I don't think anyone has ever picked up on that. The song starts off with my memories of the death of Buddy Holly, but it moves on to describe America as I was seeing it and how I was fantasizing it might become. So it's part reality and part fantasy, but I'm always in the song as a witness or as even the subject sometimes in some of the verses. You know how when you dream something, you can see something change into something else, and it's illogical when you examine it in the morning, but when you're dreaming, it seems perfectly logical. Oh, okay. Uh, so it's perfectly okay for me to talk about and then he says, being in the gym and seeing this girl dancing with someone else and suddenly have this become this other thing. I mean, I think we've all had that moment. Yeah. Oh, of course. I mean, know. being 15, like just, just growing me. up, you know, growing up um, in, that, in any environment, I feel like you uh, see something like that and you're just like, motherfucker. So he's <laughs> and he's setting the stage of like this is a like he, he started talking about literally being like a paper boy, basically, and seeing Buddy Holly's death. And now he's. He's getting into being a teenager. Um, and then you both kick it off your shoes. That's got to be referencing a sock hop, right? Um, I was a lonely teenager. He goes into the first person, Bronk and Buck, with a pink carnation and a pickup truck. They, there's some weird things about the pickup truck, meaning sexual freedom, and I couldn't really get on board with that. But a pink carnation is a Marty Robbins song from 57. Um, a white sport coat and a pink carnation. Um, Sounds a little bit more realistic. Yeah, and then, but I knew I was out of luck the day the music died. And some people say uh, he knew he was out of, like, he's trying to, like, say that at the end of the 50s with the day the music died, that, like, he's out of luck making that type of music because that type of music's over. So for me, like, he he always, rent, like, goes back to reference the day the music died as if this were all happening the day the music died. Like, every verse ends with the, the day, day the music the died. Music but it died. didn't all... It, it, this is a slow death like it was it was it started out like that event is the day the music died it's called the day the music died right. but i think throughout the song he references each little you know chipping away at music i think he's talking about music having a slow death in this song yeah like and, and every and single, almost throughout the 60s it's yeah a slow death it every makes every sense because every instant is like another like nail in the coffin yeah totally yeah. that's the way i read it because it's like it wouldn't make sense because he always says the day the music died like he has the whole summary of the verse and then it ends with the day the music died and it might go back to uh you know it's just also you got to throw back that little hook at the end of every verse but yeah it, it, to me it to. makes sense that with his perspective when he was saying like sort of driving he sees that it's like you know going declining. downhill and there's a yeah there's a decline yeah, i think he uses the word decline but yeah, um, I think that there's a lot of references to music that he listened to growing up right. in this verse and, you know, the the classic American, you know, love love song where, 
you know, you're growing up and it doesn't work out for you or, you know, it's, I think that's what this is more yeah. about. And, and I think that's the American story for the most part in the 1950s is, yeah. you know, you go to school, you go to these sock hops, like that's what you do. And then you marry when Girl you're 18. Your heart yeah. And you get married when you're 18 and then everyone goes to war yeah. or whatever. I think, well, that was more the sixties, but I think, yeah. And he goes back to him saying he's a witness to all of it. So he's, he's putting himself in that, in that first person for the fifties. Um, and then, and then, yeah, back into the chorus. And then next verse. For 10 years, we've been on our own. Now it's so just getting you really... you had us uh, color-coded on this thing to talk, to like take the yeah, lead on it? Yeah, but mine's in black and white. So we, just <laughs> <laughs> we originally split up these yeah. verses, but then I started diving into it, and I just started adding notes to all of it. And then you were adding notes to all of it, so we can just we can just uh, go through it. So the 10 years part, he basically just fast-forwards. Yeah, he just fast-forwards 10 years. And now well, he's talking about Matt... Gr so... Uh, the old phrase is a rolling stone gathers no moss as right. in, you know, you don't acquire anything if you keep moving. Right. Uh, that kind of thing. But he says moss grows fat on a rolling stone because he's talking about like a rolling stone, the song by Bob Dylan, which right. caught serious traction and a ton of quote moss yeah. grew on it because it was, it just like, you know, it, yeah. it, it uh, ascended Bob Dylan to a un unheard of levels for folk music. And well, and I took read, over. I folk read music took over in the early 60s, right? So that was like a transitionary period between like rock and roll. I mean, the Beatles in the early 60s were do were still doing rock and roll, like that doo -y rock and roll that they did. Oh, yeah, that's and, what got um, on the map. Like then, covering a ton of rock and roll. Oh, totally. And then there, this was like folk music in the early 60s, early to mid 60s, just all of a sudden taking over yeah and that's well and i read some versions where they thought he was kind of uh talking shit about um bob dylan like a rolling stone and we talked about this in another podcast but that's like him going from folk to electric music um and sort of breaking because the, the next line is that's not how it used to be Moss grows fat yeah. on a Rolling Stone, but that's not how it used to be. So people think maybe, oh, does he mean that Bob Dylan's music is changing? And then also... Um, I think that's what he's... Yeah, saying. in 65 uh, is when Bob had his motorcycle accident and then he laid low for about a year. So is that Moss grows fat? I don't know. I, I didn't really like that. I like yours better where Moss grows fat on that song because it was such a hit. Yeah. So it's, it's gathering more traction. Okay, so that's not how it used to be. Um, then more Bob Dylan. Um jester sang for the king and queen so in this one he seems to reference bob dylan i think it's i think it's pretty well agreed upon that the jester is bob dylan yeah even though bob dylan really didn't like that no when people ask him he's like are you the jester and and he's just like oh yeah i'm i'm a joker i'm a jester and then he starts like anyway there's a great bob, bob dylan, dylan quote where he's, he's just like oh oh i'm the jester and he just gets really upset um so anyway, a, a lot of people seem bob. to think that when the jester saying for the king and queen, they're probably talking about the Newport Folk Festival yeah. um, being organized by Peter Seeger, who is kind of like the standard bearer for American folk music. Right. And Joan Baez, Joan Baez is believed to be the queen. And, um, and the next know, line yeah. is one that I saw a lot of talk about on online, but I don't agree with the exact picture they're talking about. Mm -hmm. So, in a coat he borrowed from James Dean. So a lot of people are saying it's the red coat that he's wearing in Rebel Without a Cause, right? Mm -hmm. And that one's like a really famous red coat. You can Google it. 
And then they're saying he wears a similar coat in the freewheeling Bob Dylan. Now it might the it might be the same he's got style. Like a brown yeah, it's like a brown coat, so it's not the same color, but it might be the same style. But I always look at like this pea coat looking thing. Yeah, there's a picture you found of uh, Bob Dylan playing at the Newport Folk in front of. Pete Seeger in a black peacoat, just like that famous. And he has the same fucking hair as James Dean, too. Look at that. Oh, he looks so cute. Like the same hair, the same coat. Although, if you look at bigger pictures or more, you know, what's it called? And you know, you know, the photo shoot we're talking about with James Dean, it's like him walking in the rain with like his shoulders hunched up. And he's got that black pea coat. And there's a couple pictures of him walking in the rain. And then there's him like leaning against a building looking That's to the, the side. One. And he's got his yeah. pea coat all bunched That's up around him. That's the famous one. Because it is a long pea coat. And I, Bob I think Dylan everyone had has that poster. a short. Like Bob Dylan has a short pea coat. And that is a long one. But yeah. from this famous photo where he's leaning up against the building, you can't see the length of it. So he's saying in a coat he borrowed, he borrowed from, from James, James Dean. Dean and a voice that it came from you and me. And that's, remember sang for the king and queen and it's literally peter seeger and joan baez staring up at him yeah like with admiration and that was and i think joan Baez. i think we talked about it or i talked about it when we talked about bob dylan going electric but joan baez i didn't realize joan baez was such a huge figure in like bringing him into this scene and like advocating for him and being like no you gotta listen to this guy like i know his voice is kind of funny and his guitar playing is all right but and just listen to his song harmonica playing is really oh <laughs> Itchy, and the voice that comes from you and me, obviously, you could say, you know, Bob Dylan has a sort of a normal voice, but also he's he's sort of the voice of that folk generation. Well, and I, I got it. This land was made for you and me. It's a classic American folk song. Woody this Guthrie. Land was made for you and me. Oh, but sorry, I thought you meant this land is yeah. your land. No, no, that's what I'm saying. This yeah. land is made for oh, you and yeah, me. Oh, yeah, sorry. This the land voice that came from you and me. Yeah. It's, uh, it's like hearkening to that song, which is like the quintessential yeah. folk song. And Bob Dylan was obsessed with Woody Guthrie. Yeah. Like he wrote a whole song to him to to Woody or Fun fun fact. Hey hey Woody Guthrie. Da, 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 da. Sorry. <laughs> fun fact about Concord. We once held oh, I know what was called Concord stock, which was attempting the largest gathering of guitarists <laughs> in one place at the same time in Concord, California, our hometown. In Toto and, Santos. Uh, in Toto Santos. It's our big claim yeah. to fame, guys. And, uh, Google it. <laughs> they, so we had thousands of guitarists in this thing, and I was there, and I snuck on the stage. And um, the song that we all played together was This Land, this land Was Made For You And Me. Surprising that uh, a lot of... It's a surprisingly... Not not difficult for the you know moderate musician, but for the beginner musician, which the majority of these people were, kind of a tough chord progression. <laughs> What's the chord progression? Do you remember? I don't remember, but it's I like it's, it's a little bit of a quicker change. Oh, da, da, it's da, like the da. timing. It's not like four beats Probably for everyone. Like There's then, huh? a few quick changes, and anyway, we won the world <laughs> record actually, and then it got broken by somewhere. I was gonna in, say that uh, was like 2006. Huh? Dude, I saw a uh, Concord Stock uh, guitar pick the other day. Someone had oh. it. I, th- I can't remember who had it. It's driving me crazy. Vince? No, like Vince it was thing. someone else. It was someone who you wouldn't mm. think. Like, oh, it was Carrie. It was Carrie. She had a Concord when she stock. Was here. Oh, back in August when she yeah, was Yeah, she had a Concord stock. Oh, it was she either found a pin a, or a pick. That's right. She found a bunch of stuff. She gave us that pirate's chest, too. A bunch of stuff. She was cleaning out her, um, her room from her parents' house. She found a bunch of cool stuff. And so, yeah, that's why we were talking about this recently. But anyway, we had that record for a second, and then somewhere in Europe broke it. Well, so records no. are constantly <laughs> We don't have it broken. anymore. But um, anyway, that's where, that's where I think, and a voice that came from you and me, he's singing in a classic folk style, just like, this land was made for you and me. Yeah. Like, same idea. 
this, you know, from you and me. Yeah. It's, I think he was very specific about saying you and me because it has to do with that folk song. And then this is the confusing lyric, which I, again, don't agree with a lot of people's take on it. They say, and while the king was looking down, the jester stole his thorny, thorny crown. So a lot of people think the king, he must be talking about Elvis and taking the king's, you know, the king, Elvis's throne as, you know, the king of American music, the king of rock, and now the mantle has been passed to Bob Dylan. But I don't think, I really don't think that he would just change pronouns that quickly from and Pete talk Seeger about the king being Pete Seeger and then all of a sudden, a sentence later, the king is now Elvis. Like, to, because as far as we know, Elvis never watched Bob Dylan in concert. And who well, and would they, the queen be? They weren't, they were never his wife? competition. Yeah, as like I googled it, it was like as far as people know, they they may have met. Like it's apparently Bob Dylan and Lennon went to a Elvis concert together um, at oh, one point. That's weird. In the seventies, but that was after the song was written. And like, yeah. So the king and queen, it has to be Seeger and Baez mm-hmm. about folk music and taking the mantle of folk music, not American music per se. But I think while the king was looking down and Pete Seeger was like the guy for folk music, he was the one who like organized the Newport Folk Festival. He got Bob Dylan, his producer. And like, like you were saying, like he and John Baez were like pushing people to be like, dude, you got to give him a chance, you know, like this kind of thing. And while he was looking down, boom, Bob Dylan stole the crown of American folk music. Yeah. Not necessarily American music from Elvis, but American folk music and that crown and that mantle from Pete Seeger is what I think. I think, I think there's an argument for the Elvis thing because the timing sort of matches up. Like Elvis goes off to war and then what, seven years later he comes back. Well, Oh, sorry. He does a bunch of, uh, Movies. movies and then he comes back with his 68 comeback special so maybe in the early 60s when he sort of starts to go away yeah. so the timeline matches up and we do call elvis the king so i think that's where people are getting that but i agree with you that it makes more sense that it's pete Seeger. but if you go back then you'd have to be like well who's the king the king and queen who's the queen because if the, it could make sense that the king is elvis the whole no time. i think i think what people are saying is that the first time he says the king it's pete Seeger and king and queen and then the king to me don mclean's better than that he's not gonna switch back and no, forth I agree. but but we have to so acknowledge that what people I'm saying do is, think that since i think he's better than that is if it is elvis which i could buy in the second half of the king like kind of you know the line about the king was looking down he stole right. his crown i think that you have to be able to identify who the queen is right yeah and right now if you just talk about elvis as a king and queen who the hell's the queen you know, like, it, that's why, to me, it makes more sense that it's Pete, Pete Seeger, Seeger the whole time. Yeah, I think everybody agrees that the first time it is, at least. Um, but I don't think he would change it. Um, no. Yeah, I don't have this page, so what's the next or line? Or maybe it has two <laughs> meanings. Or it maybe could, he has two, yeah. Maybe the king now has two meanings, because, I mean, that's the beautiful well, thing about writing, is you can, you can say one sentence and say so many different things with it. Yeah. I think that's what Don McLean also liked, is just fucking with people, too, it seems like. So anyway, let's move on. Um... The courtroom was adjourned. No verdict was returned. And uh, you you had put down that this might have to do with the Kennedy assassination um, because Lee Harvey Oswald, Oswald was killed before there was any Right, he was know, assassinated trial, very um, suspiciously anything. before. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people thought, like, if we're talking about, 
you know, the death of this sort of American innocence, why not throw in the Kennedy assassination? What year yeah. was the Kennedy assassination? Oh, God, 1965? 60. 65, 60. And I think, and I know that, uh, so it's like, so JFK and then RFK and then eventually um, Martin Luther King, I think is 68. Um, so they, it, Oh my God, we're stupid. It's 1963. Oh, no, we're not stupid. I mean, oh, it's... We're two years off. It's podcast math. Anyway, um, <laughs> podcast dates. Um, it's hard to come up with shit. Um, Super hard. So, so yeah, that, that's, that's just two lines that are maybe alluding to this one thing. Um, courtroom was adjourned. No verdict was returned. And then the cla- and then the next one is all of a sudden where the Beatles start getting introduced. Right. And while Lennon read a book on Marx, um, this one to me, Lenin and Marx are definitely Lenin. I mean, Lenin is obviously a I. famous Russian like dictator, and Marx yeah. is Marxism, you know, left wing right. ideology, socialism, that the the uh, Red Scare, McCarthyism, like whatever you want to talk about. Yeah. Like it all goes back to that kind of shit, and and you can read this a few ways. Like I feel like this verse is more in the mid sixties, but it's. Um, it's 10 years on our own, right? Well, so this is si- late 60s? When is this verse? I, I mean, don't... I'll say this now. I don't think the song is chronological yeah. at all. I don't think it is. Okay. Because so then we get into Vietnam later, and it's no, it, I, I don't think it's chronological. So I think you need to take the next two lines together. While Lennon read a book of Marx, the, cor- the quartet practice in the park. I think it's a clear um, symbolism for the Beatles. Right. Uh, John Lennon read a book of Marx, the quartet practice in the park. This could be a reference to the famous final uh, performance before that weird rooftop concert, which shouldn't count right. for the Beatles. Well, the co- so the but quartet is the Beatles, right? The quartet That's, is yeah. the Beatles. And um, their farewell concert was at Candlestick Park in San Francisco. So oh, the quartet yeah. practiced in the park. And you think about practicing as getting ready for something. Right. And, if that's your last concert, you're not getting ready for something. But they are getting ready for the next phase of their career when Lenin was reading a book of Marx. He was getting super into left-wing politics right. by you know, the late 60s. And, well, um, and if people don't know this, like the Beatles stopped touring really early in their yeah, career. Yeah, in, in uh, I think they it was couldn't, 66, the farewell concert. At yeah, they couldn't safely tour. Like, yeah. how insane is that? It's yeah. like if fucking Bieber was like, oh, can't play live anymore. No. Sorry, guys, it's unsafe. Like, everyone would be like, what the fuck? But I mean, like, <laughs> Lennon's writing songs like Revolution Number no. 9 and shit yeah. like that. Like, he's clearly getting into left-wing, like, politics. That's where the Book of Marx comes in. The quartet practice in the park, park probably right. has to do with Candlestick Park, their oh, last it's gotta concert be. It's quartet, at like, 1966. And we sing Dirges in the Dark. That could do with the, the deaths of RFK, JFK, and, and MLK, MLK yeah. uh, the day the music died. And then and that's another, to, yeah. that's another trio that they're bringing in, that he's yeah. bringing in, which is interesting because we're talking about this whole song is like the trio of the Big Bopper, Richie Valens, and... Uh, um, Buddy Holly dying, that's a trio. And then we're talking about JFK, RFK, MLK. And then at the end, he's going to talk about the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. So it's, it's a lot of cool kind of trilogies coming in. Um, Do you want to you tackle this next one? I'm going to run and grab a beer from the garage real quick. Sure. Yeah. All right, I'm back. So All the right, next verse is my fave verse. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, wait, I, what did our brother say? It's not a Radio Keys podcast, so they don't talk about Charles Manson at some oh. point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
he did t- he did and say I was that. like reading you're not I was wrong like, Alex. dude i was like, we, like we god damn it we bring we it weren't back even to trying to, dude we weren't <laughs> even trying to like shoehorn this thing in here like, how can we not talk about charles manson in this verse though it's so great like the i think this first opening line of this next verse is the fucking best rhyme helter skelter in a summer swelter fucking brilliant okay so yeah. obviously helter skelter we can't get into the whole helter skelter thing but it's we already did ref- check out we the already did podcast. fucking listen to it and it's like a three Google hour it. podcast so it's too yeah long. that was one of the terms that manson stole from the beatles and then used it to fucking fuel his batshit movement anyway yeah. um so the summer of 68 it's actually august 9th and 10th i believe because one of them is my birthday um helter skelter so that's when the manson murders occur so helter skelter it's when it's in the summer swelter um so we kick off kicking off with the manson murders but that's the only line he really lends to them helter skelter in a summer swelter and then he goes right into the birds the birds flew off with a fallout shelter so the birds the band with the y they uh they got really big for doing a cover of mr tambourine man and they also do do everything turn 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 do you know that song yeah of course it's in every fucking movie about the 60s ever it's like in (laughs) every film um so anyway uh so the birds flaw for the fallout shelter. So they think that, so one of the birds members is arrested for marijuana, which I think is no. hilarious. Uh, and so people think fallout shelter is a reference for rehab. Um, eight miles high and falling fast. So eight miles high is a psychedelic song by the birds. So the birds were like a folky Bob Dylan type of band. Um, got big with Mr. Tambourine man. And then I guess there's, I guess there's on one of the Bob Dylan records, there's a fallout shelter near that has Mr. Tambourine Man on it. I can't remember, but well, real quick. Sorry. I was okay. trying to, I was trying to reference this cause I thought it and then I forgot to fact check it. Oh, um, somebody, the fallout shelter, it might have to do with the cold war. Um, yeah. And I'm trying to figure out when the cold war actually officially was. Oh, um, well I saw, yeah, there's, there's the connection. People think it's rehab. And then also there's a, picture of a fallout shelter on a bob dylan record and the birds cover bob dylan so apparently song. that period was 1947 to 1991 it's the longest is what period it says on wikipedia so it's the <laughs> longest non-war ever and um <laughs> apparently this could also you know be in a uh, you know a, a quote towards you know constant nuclear the fact that we're in the nuclear war. threat yeah <laughs> just a nuclear um, threat oh gotcha yeah um so eight miles high and falling fast. So eight mile eight miles high is a song by the birds where they were like turning into like psychedelia, just like the Beatles did. And it's a really crazy song. I listened to it and it's kind of, it sounds nothing like what the birds usually sound like. And it's kind of a cool song, but it's super psychedelic and crazy. And so he says eight miles high and falling fast. It sounds like he's again saying like they're changing their sound and now it's, you know, we're falling out of it. Um, landed foul on the grass. Anytime he says grass, it's gotta be weed, right? Maybe. Maybe. Um, <laughs> but then he brings it into the football metaphor. Um, landed foul on the grass. So that's like a transition That's like a too. baseball metaphor though. So like landed well, foul, like foul ball. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like that's gotta be a baseball one. On but the then he starts like, talking well, about. Maybe he's talking about the fact that the eight miles high song didn't land with anyone. It kind of sucked. Yeah. <laughs> Did he's it really? just talking <laughs> shit. I don't know. Sounds like he's kind of talking it shit. It has to be. Yeah, it landed foul on Eight the grass. Eight miles high and falling fast, like the quality of their shit's going downhill. And it landed foul on the grass like nobody dug it or oh. everybody that was stoned dug it. 
Um, yeah, I think that's what it means. That's what it's got to mean. Yeah. I like it just because it, I love a, a nice shit-talking song. <laughs> <laughs> He's just subtly shit-talking. Yeah. Uh, and then we get into the football metaphor that brings in the Beatles again. Um, so the players tried for a forward pass. So a lot of people think that the players, I thought it was army people. Um, no. But people are saying that the players are the protesters. So try to forward pass. So that's them moving forward. Um, the riots in the 1960s. Um, so that's the movement coming forward about like anti-government corruption. So the play, is there any other theories on who the players are? I, when I first just heard it cold, I was like, Oh, he's bringing in the war metaphor. Um, we're talking about the war coming upon the players on the forward pass. Fallout like, shelter. Aggressive. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, but apparently, but they come in later, I guess. Um, and then Jester on the sidelines in a cast, um, so Bob, again, he was in this gnarly 1965 motorcycle accident um, that left him like bedridden for like a year, basically. And he just kind of hid out in his home. So he's saying the players on the side or the gestures on the sidelines in a cast. So like Bob is not active at this point, I guess. Yeah. Um, halftime sweet perfume. What does that mean? It's a summer of love, baby. This is when uh, marijuana, marijuana is marijuana. growing. And then Sergeant <laughs> played a marching tune, and now all of a sudden, the Beatles, the Beatles go from the quartet to the sergeants. All sergeants played a marching tune. And now uh, I know that, again, like it might sound hypocritical if I say that he won't say the king is one guy and then change it for someone else. But I truly believe that the Beatles are the quartet and also the sergeants. No, yeah, I think, well, and that's just too different. Well, but they've changed too. But also the Beatles made up Sergeant Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band as like a fake band that they were a part of. So even if he's using it as changing it, the Beatles changed themselves as that. So it's... It's and all that's fair when they play. introduce Billy Shears, who is the new Paul McCartney, because yes. Paul's dead. Paul's dead. And you can all listen about that in because <laughs> <laughs> Billy Shears is the real uh, Paul. Anyway, um, so while Sergeant's played a marching tune, and then Sergeant Pepper came out in 1967, and that was like hugely influential. I had notes on it that I lost, but I guess um, that's the first record to, oh, fuck, I think it was the first record to have like the song lyrics printed i'm not gonna say that because it might be a lie but if you read about sergeant pepper there's a lot of things that that vinyl like specifically did with the artwork and like uh i think it's the first time the the you know the middle of the record uh that has the hole in it and then there's a little uh arty part around it apparently that's the first time that like there was like that was like kind of artistic as opposed hmm. to just like a basic bitch like here's the names of the songs and the well anyway. i mean it was a groundbreaking record that's all, all i'm accounts. trying to say is it, it was, was a groundbreaking, groundbreaking record like, musically yeah. visually we can look um, at it was a sea change like fucking the beach boys uh what's his name uh Brian Wilson. Brian Wilson had an anxiety attack when he heard Sgt. Pepper because he just You don't knew have it. to compare yourself to I know, but he Brian. did. And he just knew it. He was like, I will I never know. compare. It is what he thought in his Can mind. Can you imagine being a band when the fucking Beatles are around? You'd just be like, I fucking give up. Like, ugh. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and then the next line, uh, we all got up to dance, but we never had the chance, has a couple different interpretations, or at least two different interpretations that i have um so we all got up to dance um 
So it could be the really kind of simple, happy version is that we never got the chance. We got up to dance, but we never got the chance. Uh, you know, earlier he's talking about 50s music being all about dancing, but now, and the Beatles were doing that. But if we're talking about the Beatles now with Sergeant Pepper. Now they're the sergeants. Sergeant Pepper yeah. comes out, and that's not dancing music. That's kind of weird, trippy shit. So it's like, oh, we, it's not a dancing record, and it's changing the way rock and roll is. So that's one interpretation. Um, or... Um, we all got up to dance, but we never got the chance. Uh, we all got up to dance could be talking about the, all the young people who went to Chicago for the 1968 Democratic Party National Convention who thought they'd be part of a process only to be received violently by the Chicago Police Department. They were like beat with uh, nightsticks and shit. I, I didn't really know a lot about that specific uh, protest before that. Um, but yeah, so that that's another interpretation is that it's referencing that what specific. I was, so what I was thing. thinking about the players and the marching band refusing right. the lead, the players tried to take the field, the players tried no. for a forward pass. There's a lot of the players trying to do shit, and it could definitely have to do with um, you know the protests and all right. that, and it could still do it that you know double meaning type things. It could have two meanings. I was thinking that it could have something to do with the old stars of the 1950s yeah. trying to make a comeback. Like there's like the, the classic Elvis, Elvis comeback, comeback special. special. There's um, oh, Chuck Berry trying to have a career. Uh, there's a lot. There's yeah. a lot of these 50. You know, Johnny Cash. I I believe he was probably not at this point. I think he was canned in like the 70s or 80s, but. You know, there's a lot of these 50s stars that are trying, trying to, to still relevant, make it yeah. in the 60s. And when the jesters on the sideline, the players are trying to... Oh, that's interesting. Boom, they're trying to get back well, in the game. Well, that could be another argument for yeah. jesters stealing the crown from Elvis and then yeah. Elvis making a so comeback. There's, there's that. And then because the players try to take the field, they're trying to take music back. Right. And then the marching band, the marching band is like, nope, we're not getting off the field. And we're, we're coming out with Sergeant Beatles. Peppers, and that just <laughs> put you down forever. Yeah. Like you almost made this comeback, but Sergeant Pepper Boom. singled the end of it. Yeah. And um, yeah, I thought it was kind of funny. This uh, has whenever I hear this line, I always think of the famous college football, the play, especially. Oh, being, I always think of the play with especially Berkeley, yeah. being you know having all my family members except for me go to Cal, and I was like, wouldn't it be cool if? the play happened and he was, you know, talking about the play, but no, the play didn't happen until the eighties, I, I think. Say, yeah, and, right um, later. it's just kind of funny how like real life imitates art sometimes. Oh, it's exactly. And like, it's yeah, like, totally. you have this awesome line. The players try to take the field, the marching man refused to yield. And then you have an incredible moment, like the play where it's like, the fucking game is still happening. The players are on the field, but the marching band's being a bunch of chuckleheads and they're yeah, on the, the field. Is it the Stanford marching band? Yeah. The Stanford. Yeah. Band. So like Cal's, it looks like Cal's gonna lose. Basically, we're they playing think it's Stanford, over. and so they the band literally starts charging the field and playing. And then what happens? A guy, um, the Cal wins the game on a kickoff return. That's what it and was. And they're yeah. running into. He like destroys a trombone player. Like it's fucking hilarious. Yeah. But if you've never seen the play, and it's a famous college football, or just play, listen to our parents said they Joe heard it Starkey, on the radio. Yeah, yeah so there's it's, a there's a incredible line where he's talking about you know all these laterals and all this shit um and he goes the band is out on the field <laughs> like in his voice like cracks <laughs> and it's like a really classic call and and yeah. uh whenever i hear this line i think of the play the players try to take the field but the marching <laughs> band refused it totally to so, it's a, but totally it's not like it doesn't that. have anything to do with that 
it, which is funny because it happens 10 years later after this song. 10 years that we've been on our own, then 10 years later it happens in real life. It's crazy. But uh, I, yeah, I, I like to think Oh, I that can't help but think of that. The yeah. players might not be these protesters. I think it might be these old players in the 1950s. I, I like, I like that idea. I think it is... I don't know. I would guess protest, but I like that idea a lot. But then from the... From the it, imagining that the players are protest angle the marching band refused to yield is i guess there was like a disconnect between like the beatles basically the protests are getting violent and the beatles are refusing to yield on their sort of pacifism and like no 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 it can't be violent all you need is love fucking there's a line in revolution um but when you talk about destruction you can count me out so people think that's them being but like he also says hey, count me in remember we talked about it on the manson podcast he know. says count me out on one and then he says count me in on the other one fickle so it's a double meaning um and then Actually, that's not what a double meaning is. It, he has two tags. But they're against, anyway, they're against anyway. violence. So that's what people think they're saying. It's like the marching band is refusing to yield on the whole like, hey, well, no, violence isn't the answer thing. All you need is love. The next the next part to me might be the most uh, veiled like riddle in the entire song. Yeah, Do you recall what was revealed? The day the music died. No, I don't have any clue what was revealed. There's a lot of... Does anyone yeah, know what was every, revealed? Everyone I, that I, I read... Looked, uh, this shit up I well, can everyone, everybody gets really vague with it they're just like yeah he's talking about how you know when the when the mu- the day the music died it was revealed that like rock and roll was over I'm like well that's some vague bullshit like that's what the whole song's about but like that specific well line, that would lend to what I was saying about the players being these old cats right right, right. and like do you recall what was real the day the music died so one yeah he's tying it back in as he does at the end of every verse but yeah I don't know that's that's definitely a riddle. So but I don't want to try to. It tags with the day the music died. Exactly. As if it was all one day that this is all happening, but it's yeah. not. It's a slow fucking death. Yeah. Do you recall and what was? Yeah. Revealed? So we get another chorus, and then there we all there we are the and there we were all in one place, and they're talking about maybe it's Woodstock, a generation lost in space, um, who grew up on the what was that a show. Yeah, the generation yeah. that grew up on Lost in Space, and then a lot of people are like, everybody's so it's the quote unquote lost generation because everybody's just high out of their fucking minds, and they're all at Woodstock together. Um. <laughs> and this is like my favorite part. He starts talk, so he uh, he already kind of throws a little bit of shade on the Beatles. I feel like um, we never got the chance about dancing. I feel like that's maybe a little bit of shade at the Beatles. Oh wait, before we get into this shade, can I say one thing yeah, about yeah. we were all in one place? Um, I thought it was interesting. There we were all in. in, in ugh, that is a fucking tongue twister. There we were, we're all in all one in place. One. <laughs> so we think we're ta- he's talking about Woodstock. What's interesting? He talks about Bob Dylan in like the last two or three verses or whatever. And Bob Dylan wasn't at Woodstock, but he was during Woodstock. He was he had a house in Woodstock. Yeah. And people. Well, so did the band, right? Right. The, the and a lot of pink. people think that one of the reasons that like like everybody kind of thought that Bob Dylan was going to like show up at Woodstock and like yeah. join him, but he never did. But it's like, they were all in the same place is what he's mm. saying. Like even if Bob Dylan wasn't at Woodstock, he was literally like in Woodstock. Okay. Too. Anyway, so that's all I wanted to say there. So, and then with no time left to start again, um, I'm not really sure what that no time left to start again. means. No time left to start again. Um, I, so I think this could have to do with th- this next set of lines because 
The next set of lines, lines has to do with the Rolling Stones and the Altamont. Uh, I always called the Altamont Film Festival. It's not. It's the <laughs> Altamont Free. I want to call festival. it the Altamont Pass. It's so. the Altamont Free Festival. Right. And that we'll get all into that later. But basically, they were calling the Altamont Free Festival. Woodstock West, and it was four months after Woodstock. And it was supposed to be like it was the same Woodstock shit. Part two. It was the same shit, but yeah, in the Bay Area, but the beautiful violent. Bay Area. It was supposed to be in San Jose, and then it wasn't in San Jose. So then it was going to be in Golden Gate Park, just like hardly strictly bluegrass. Ugh, but there was a 49ers a game on, so they like it was. They used to have a stadium in Golden Gate Park that the 49ers played in against the Bears that day, so they couldn't do that. And eventually they moved it to Altamont, which is kind of near Tracy. Um, yeah. So this was supposed to be Woodstock West with no time left to start again. So there, it's almost like Altamont is, we're trying to start it again. We're trying to do Woodstock again. Yeah. But there's no time left. And that's where it's, so come on, Jack be nimble, Jack be quick, Jack flashed out on a candlestick. You know, it's the famous, you know. Jack be nimble, Jack be quick. It's Jack the famous, jumped over the, Yeah, right? it's a famous, you know, nursery rhyme. But he ties in Jumping Jack Flash, uh, Mick Jagger as Jack. Because um, so fire is the devil's only friend. And this is, you know, hearkening towards Sympathy for the Devil, which is a right. huge song. It's the opening track on their 1968 album, Beggar's Banquet. Right. Um, Sympathy for the Devil, you know, jump <laughs> fire is the devil's only friend. It's a right. really easy connection. Yeah. Um, and, cause, and as I watched him on the stage, my hands were clenched clenched in fists of rage no angels born in hell could break this satanist spell so this is all about altamont the and altamont's an incredible event that Horrifying we could we could event. do an entire yeah podcast on altamont and i want to yeah. do maybe like five minutes on it because it's really interesting um basically what happened is they want to do um, everyone was complaining about the price of rolling stones tickets so they're like we're going to finish our tour with a free concert right. to kind of, you know, quiet all our haters down <laughs> to prove the doubt is wrong. And uh, so they're trying to figure this thing out and they eventually end up at the Altamont Raceway. They are 300,000 like people. Sounds like fucking Burning Man yeah. or Desert Vibe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Desert Vibe. There's uh, 300,000 people in attendance. If you look at the footage, it's like this tiny fucking stage it's just surrounded by... A just massive people. It looks it looks like my worst nightmare. It's like this. Well, there's crazy a lot crowd. of things that went wrong with it, and oh yeah, the main thing that went wrong it's with it instead of people. hiring a real security company, they decided to go with the Hell's Angels what as is. a security. And you know, I never noticed. I don't know how this went over me, but no angel born in hell. Hell's Angels. I, I never, anyway, that was yeah. just such an, another obvious one to me. That I was like, oh, no angel born in hell. So it's, it's about these Hell's Angels. They were, there's ver- there's a bunch of varying accounts onto what the actual agreement was, but it seems to be generally agreed upon that the Hell's Angels would sit on the stage, prevent people from messing with the generator and prevent people from coming on stage. And in return, they would be given $500 in free beer, basically, for the entire so day. So no cash, just we give you free We'll beer. give you a bunch of free beer. Right. You can just hang out and drink beer all day. Just make sure no one messes with the power, the generators, and no one rushes the stage. Because the stage was incredibly short. They, they planned for it to be somewhere else. But where it ended up, where the concert ended up at the raceway, yeah. 
They couldn't change it. It was a short stage. It probably seemed like a cool idea at the time. It was like sort of anarchist. It was like, like two meters high. It was, it was like punk rock. It's like let's get let's get the Hell's Angels to do it. Um, well, they thought that the Hell's Angels were like this like uh, cool motorcycle. You know, it was like a, no, it was like a <laughs> counterculture thing. You know how yeah, hippies totally were like counterculture. Yeah. They thought that it was like a common perception that the Hell's Angels were part of that counterculture, but yeah. more of like an outlaw counterculture. Yeah. Like, There's oh, they're on our side, but they're a little bit, you know, yeah. a little bit more rough and tumble. But yeah. that's not the way it turned out. The, yeah. the it was all anti-authority, but the Hell's Angels are so, such bad people. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of the well, day. I don't like, want to go, I don't want to go too bad on the Hell's Angels. <laughs> Shit. Obviously. Oh, I mean, I mean, what they were yeah. then and what they are today, I think, is completely different. Um, we won't get too into it, but yeah, you read Hunter S. Thompson's book, and he lives with them, and there, there's some shit going on. It's kind of horrifying. Well, it's like it's like uh, it's in a book, like it's not a secret. It's, it's like Hunter like, S. Thompson. It's like he forgot that he was living with bears, and he wasn't a bear. You yeah, know what I mean? Like, he gets the yeah. shit beat out of him. So basically what's happening yeah. is the angels are getting more drunk and agitated as the concert goes on. The uh, crowd is getting more drunk and agitated as the show goes on. Right. And uh, there's fights mostly because of the Hell's Angels yeah. and the crowd going at it. Right. Um, they start like having sawed off pull cues and they're like beating people right in front of the stage. So they all as the Rolling Stones. And then uh, I saw this video today where I can't remember what band it was. Um, I don't think I have it in the notes, but there was a band on a San Francisco kind of more local band, and uh, they're you know they're trying to perform, and um, one of the singers she's like six months pregnant. And she gets hit in the head with like a a bottle and gets knocked oh, unconscious. Jesus. There was, I think it was Jefferson airplane. It sounds right. That um, they played it. it could yeah. be a, let's see. I think I had the lineup in here. Oh man. Did I not include Do you mean it? Grace Slick was the pregnant? No, no, no. Different band. Okay, good, this good, is good, a different okay. band. And, uh, the, uh, guitar player like jumped into the state or into the crowd to try to break up a fight. Whoa. And uh, the Hell's Angels knocked him out, oh, and like he no. was part of the band, you know. Yeah, was, they like, don't fuck. It's just anarchy. Yeah, it reminds me of the yeah. bodyguards at fucking Dargins when we're trying to <laughs> unload. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, we're like just like that. So and uh, there was like, I saw this video where the band was like talking about, hey, we can't throw bottles on the stage and blah, you know, all this shit. And then one of the Hell's Angels like grabbed the mic and started being like, you're talking about my people oh, and like God. get antagonizing. <laughs> Dude, it was intense. Like the entire thing just got more and more tense. And this is in front of 300,000 people like, on drugs. Right. And it's before the Rolling Stones even come out, right? Yeah. So shit's going down before they even come so, out. Yeah. Finally jumping jack flash you know jack flash comes out and uh where's, where's Jagger, yeah. all right so he comes out and they start performing it's getting crazy the angels are hammered the crowds hammered and agitated on all kinds of drugs um this young man 18 year old uh black kid meredith hunter um he gets like kind of lightweight beat up by the hell's angels and uh He's on methamphetamines, oh. gets super pissed, goes and gets his gun, which is a twenty-two, and comes back to the stage with his gun out. Like, oh. no one knows what he's going to do. So one of the angels pulls a knife, grabs his the gun and his hand with his left hand, and with his right hand, the hell's angel stabs him. Where? 
Mm-hmm. I think in the neck. I was used to say you're doing yeah, like the he, motion I think he up stabs high. And I'm him like, in the neck. And there's a fucking? there's a video of it. You can watch it on YouTube. I don't want to watch and it. And Meredith Hunter um, is killed. He's stabbed to death by the Hell's Angels. Uh, they were acquitted in self defense, which. He had a gun I think you can be con- considerate fair in all circumstances with the it's gun. It's definitely an extreme reaction. Yeah, but also if someone's coming super pissed with a gun. Well, but see, but a trained like yeah. security guard or well, I mean, yeah, maybe would have not him. just he would, he stabbed him in the neck. Him, yeah. yeah, but I maybe. think you know this is my nightmare when I have these big crowds. It's like if something, if a medical emergency happens in this big crazy crowd well there were a lot of medical emergencies nobody can get to it and um, it's like that's my that's my nightmare like ju- i mean he's just gonna die I there's mean, no way you can get him out stopped the yeah. wrong stones and that's where fire you know no angel born in hell could so stop yeah, the satanist spell yeah. um and anyway there was so more deaths. really doesn't like no the there was a <laughs> so meredith hunter was killed uh there were three acts uh, three accidental deaths two by hit and run car accident and then one by an LSD-induced drowning in an irrigation canal. Ugh. So lots of death. The innocence of the 60s is over officially. And um, the main key is no angel born in hell could break that Satan spell because the Stones played the entire set. They had a few breaks where they're like, hey, we guys, gotta play. we got to chill. We got to chill. You know, like there was a, a few they of weren't, that. Yeah, they weren't happy about what was going on. No. I feel like, but they also didn't, I think they've said they like, we, we didn't know that anyone died. So, but I think for they, sure, like there, there's a lot of, you know, conjecture about what these lines are about. But for sure, that's what this line, this. There's no, yeah. there's, it's too, it's too, uh, yeah, yeah. it's too specific. And as the flames climbed high into the night, it's just the whole fucking night was up in flames. Not literally, I don't think. I saw Satan laughing with delight. And uh, to light the sacrificial rite, it's just further evidence. Uh, you, you know how we're talking about yeah, in he, the first verse where he says how Bible, you know, there's a Bible. Can music save your mortal soul? It kind of juxtaposes religion and also um, uh, music. Right. And this is kind of doing the same thing, but on the other side of the coin, where it's evil. Yeah. Well, it's do you fucking think, dark and evil. I mean, evil. do you think besides the fact that the 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 devil metaphor he keeps using with the jumping jack um what is the devil line specifically well, it's um because uh, fire is the devil's only friend do you think i mean a lot of people were saying oh you know and i don't agree with this necessarily but they're like he's kind of talking about how the rolling stones like sold their soul to the devil a little bit or like almost i think it just has to do with sympathy for the devil that song. And it also might have to do with uh, Candlestick Park, which is in San Francisco, right. which is where it wasn't supposed to be in Candlestick Park, but this festival was supposed to be in San Francisco. And then remember, we just talked about the quintet in the park, Candlestick Park. Yeah. There's like a lot. It yeah. could have to do with that. But just to wrap this all up or this part all up, the flames climbed high into the night to light the sacrificial rite. I saw Satan laughing with the light the day the music died. This is more just, this is the event, you right. know, that is the opposite of that f- second verse where we're talking about can music save your soul, the Bible, did you write the right. book of love, you know, all that cute stuff. Yeah. Now it's on the other side of the coin and there's a sacrificial rite, which is religious Im- imagery. Right. But this whole event was sacrament to the devil's 
imagery, you know, Sacrif- yeah, yeah, this new wave of music, this new Rolling Stone, these new Beatles, this, this dark form of rock and roll, dark, it's like the dark yeah. side of rock and roll, yeah. So you think of fifties rock and roll, this sort of light, happy sock hop shit, and then you bring Rolling Stones rock yeah. and roll in, and it's like and this, Altamont, and, and then it's driven by this sort of. But I highly recommend darkness. people look up Altamont free festival because it is an incredible moment in rock and roll history one of the seminal moments in that, rock and roll that history. and the people getting trampled at the is it the who concert yeah the who that's concert. just horrifying shit yeah it's 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 again like i not to make anything about me but like i definitely have a fear of big crowds and i think it's a little bit fueled by stories like that where it's like when there's these big crowds of people and something tragic happens you can't they, like it just gets drowned out in this crowd so it's why got, I don't go to Hardly Strictly Bluegrass because yeah, it freaks well, me out. We're trying to play Hardly Strictly Bluegrass. So I'll play it, but I, I all going the people out there. That's a free festival in uh, San Francisco, and it always gives me anxiety, crazy yeah. anxiety. I can't do it. So anyway. we're about to wrap this up in the last uh, the last verse. You got this one. So yeah, so the day the music died. So we <laughs> we have his shit talking Rolling Stones verse, um, and then um, the chorus again, and then it slow it like boom grinds down to a halt again. Uh, just like the first verse a long, long time ago. Um, I met a girl who sang the blues and I asked her for some happy news. She just smiled and turned away. So everybody thinks this is about Janis Joplin in the 60s, bringing back this sort of rhythm and blues and this sort of like rawness that maybe saw some glimmer of hope. Can I say something that I realized we haven't mentioned at all? What? The British invasion, the Beatles, and oh, the Rolling yeah. Stones fucking stealing American music and repackaging. This is yeah a huge part of this yeah. whole picture. I realized we never even mentioned it. I, I and you know what? I didn't see it mentioned in any of the yeah. things I read. Obviously, like we're we're also while the gestures on the sideline. There's all these fucking British fools trying to come in and like <laughs> steal American music. And then I met a girl who sang the blues and asked for some happy news. America is coming back, Janice baby. Joplin. Yeah, American and, rock and roll. And she's singing, you know, Bobby McGee. She's singing yeah. folk. That's a Chris Christopherson song, right? Yeah. It's like she's she's bringing back that a little bit. And then she dies of a heroin overdose at fucking twenty seven uh, in nineteen seventy. Um, again, for the timeline for the song American Pie, like a lot of people think he started writing it in sixty nine and. And uh, the song came out in 71. And like, I think a lot of people that don't write songs think that sounds like a really long time, but like, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> two, two years from r- starting to write a song and actually getting that song For out in the me, world it's is It's more the not, shelf. The shelf yeah. takes the, the time. Like, yeah. I'll write a song in a day or Putting two a, days, three shelf, days. Yeah. But you you shelf it for so long yeah. until it's the right or time. I imagine with a song like this, you tinker at it a lot and a lot and a lot and a lot and a lot. And then, yeah, and then get it on. And then he, yeah, he got it on the record and got the recording and then it came out. But I'm sure this was probably almost done long before the actual song came out. Um, anyway, she just yeah. smiled and turned away. She passes away really early. Um, Age and again, yeah, 1970, fucking right at the end of a decade. Might have been seven. Was it 70? 70 is okay. what I She overdosed in 70. And what's weird about the Janis Joplin overdose is that like she she did she did heroin regularly, and she passed away one night doing the same amount she usually did. And apparently, a bunch of different people who bought from the same person all died that yeah, same that's night. A, so that's it was the like rumor. bad. That's the famous rumor. Bad heroin. Um, I went down to the sacred well, store. Just uncut, powerful heroin, and then people are doing, doing their the regular same, dose, yeah, exactly. and then they, yeah, or they take a break, and then they do what they used to do. And yeah, like imagine if a glass of wine 
was actually four gla- like four bottles of wine, and you oh, drank would, a glass of wine, and then you just fucking I would die, die yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then you died. Four bottles of wine, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, I went down to the sacred store. Um, everyone thinks he's just talking about record stores that sell 50s music, um, where I'd heard the music years before, but the man there said the music wouldn't play. So... A lot of people think he's alluding to sort of like the 60s. So much happened with music, um, politics and everything in the 60s that he thinks maybe the 50s get a little overshadowed and sort of buried. So by the 70s, no one's listening to that 50s music anymore. That's that's one of the ideas of that. I read that maybe I like think, record store culture was dying. Like. Not, I don't know not if record store culture way. was dying, but I think that those specific 50s records weren't getting the same type yeah. of attention that, that maybe our buddy Domicly thought I they remember, should get. Sorry, I didn't write it down in here, but I remember no, reading that there was like a very specific like type of engagement that you could have with the music in the 50s that you could no longer have. And it, I, I liked, like, when I read it, I remember thinking about, remember when we were growing up and you had, like, those barcode scanner things where you would, yeah. like, scan the CD. Oh, and, and you'd listen, listen to, it. to it, yeah. They had those in the, yeah, I remember in the film, uh, I remember there being kids? I remember it being, like, a they, similar kind of You get in a deal. room, yeah, you get in a little room and you, like, yeah. listen to the record. Um, anyway, I remembered it being something like that, but that could be I true think I think if I'm just looking at this verse, I think it's just metaphorical. I went down to the sacred store where I'd heard the music years before and they said the music wouldn't play. I think he's just again referencing like the fifties music, the door has been shut on it. It, it doesn't, it's almost like that music doesn't want to exist in this current world. Like it, it won't play because it's like, I don't know. It's too, too happy too. too Yeah. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit in the current time. I think is what he's trying to say. I think people try to get too literal with this verse and I'm just like, I think he's he's making another big metaphor about how that music doesn't play along with the culture that we have now in the 70s. Um, and it, it doesn't. That's not how the world works. Um, and then in the streets, the children screamed. Um, again, I think we're talking about riots. I think we're talking about violence with protests. I think we're talking about young, young people in the streets um, rioting. Do you get anything else from that? Yeah, I think that's, that's pretty, pretty cut and dry. It. And then the lovers cried, the poets dreamed. A lot of people get really deep on like who he's talking about, and I, I think it's just, I think it's just musicians and and poets and all that kind of stuff. Um, not a word was spoken. The church bells all were broken. I think that again religion. is talking about yeah. the innocence of religion. Church bells all were broken. Like how he t- like like we said the the devil just freaking burned the whole bitch down like in in like the prior verse. So it's like the church bells. All were broken. Like, yeah, and we could sense. be and we could be talking about the the Church of Rock and Gospel Roll, music, or we could be talking about yeah. religion in general. Yeah, but I think he's tying in rock the the gospel of rock and roll, the Church of Rock I mean, and Roll, rock along and with roll that a lot is, more. Is gospel music in a way? It's the oh, same yeah. roots, you know. Anyway, yeah, I love gospel. Uh, anyway, fa- who are the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, Emily? Um, so there's a lot. Uh, so, uh, again, he's tying back to the beginning when he started writing the song about Buddy Holly, Big Bopper, and uh, Richie Valens. A lot of people think he's also um, referring to JFK, RFK, and MLK. Um, but I think, he's, I think he's talking about the day the music died. Um, but I can't, I couldn't find anybody that, I mean, I would assume the son would maybe be Richie Valens because he was so young, the father, son, the Holy Ghost. I, I couldn't really think about who was who in that in that metaphor is the father buddy holly 
Well, is the sun have, Richie yeah. Valens? Is the Holy Ghost? Why is fucking Big Bopper the Holy Ghost? I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, don't know I couldn't. Hello, baby. No, nobody really takes a stab at like trying to assign those guys. They're just like, well, it's a trilogy, and this is a trilogy, and it's the three men he admires the most, and he just, I don't know. I don't know. Is the Holy yeah. Ghost buddy? But why a train to the coast? Maybe the father is the Big Bopper because he was he was twenty eight. So he'd already had this long career. And then the son is Richie Valens. He was just starting off. And yeah. then the Holy Ghost is Buddy just because he, that's his that's his holy man. That's his that's his hero. I think I don't it's know. It's easy to forget though. <laughs> I don't As know. a lyricist, it's easy to forget that sometimes you just you just want <laughs> Sometimes you just wanna say the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost because that's what it is. Yeah. That's three. what whenever you talk about the father son and the holy ghost like yeah. this religious thing like it's that's what people. it is you can't just say the father and the son and leave it you know you yeah. have to throw in another one so i think yeah. like sometimes lyricism is just comes down to this sounds really fucking cool right now so i'm gonna do it and then we yeah. can try to justify it later <laughs> like or as we've talked about before and it's happened in my songwriting and, and yours as well it's like something that's just comes out when you're just saying words out loud and you're just kind of like almost like rapping it out and just you have your recorder going and then later you're like oh that kind of sounds like i'm talking about this i think he is talking about a trilogy i think he's connecting the trilogies but i don't think don mclean sat there and went the father is the big bopper i don't yeah, think he no. went, i didn't think no, he did. I don't okay think so, so we can agree on that um and then they caught the last train for the coast that's they died okay <laughs> is, is there is there any other i feel like there has to be something better they caught better, the last train no. for the coast like the day the music died yeah i don't want to yeah it's but emily they were in a plane but they were in a plane <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a train it was um, a plane that became a train and they were singing bye bye miss american pie um, do you want to hear the, and I don't even want to, I don't so even want to, you read this quote earlier, but I was going to save oh. it to the end. Damn it. I'm um, so sorry. It's because it's Don McLean's like little quick. Oh, about clip on it. And him so in 2015, basically in American pie, things are heading in the wrong, wrong direction. direction. It is becoming less idyllic. I don't know whether you consider that right or wrong, but it is a morality song in a sense. And that's really what he says about it. And yeah. and I think yeah. you can kind of look Decline. as deep as you want to and we can find a million different, you know, meanings in the song, but uh, going back to what we were just talking about as sometimes things just sound cool. I think I don't think he painstakingly drew a line like freaking you know that famous uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia Charlie mean where he's trying to figure out the mystery and he has like all the yarn and like <laughs> he has everything. Oh, is it uh, Pepe Silva I don't where he's know. got the cigarette and he's like explaining? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the best meme. I don't of all think Don McLean <laughs> wrote this song like that. Doing like that. <laughs> you know, I think Pepe I think, Silva doesn't exist. Oh, God, I think it was Google Lucy. It. I'm going to reference all these things in history. Right. And then there's going to be a few things that just sound cool. Yeah. And, but people obviously pour people over really it went painstakingly, for it. just like the Paul is dead shit where they're like, well, he's wearing a black rose in this one. I'm sure. I'm sure he looked back on people like, you know, going crazy over it and being like, this is about this. And, the, and he just probably enjoyed it. Like I would, if you somebody just sat and it. like took something, took our lyrics and was like, this is about, you know, the Illuminati, I'd be like, this is hilarious. Like, this is fascinating. Songwriters should make their statements and move on, maintaining a dignified silence. Okay, asshole. So like, I... <laughs> that sounds like, like, come on, dude. You have so to say I that. So I do, I do want to read just because if you 
dive deep into the internet about these verses. Uh, I can't leave this out. Basically, uh, recently, Don McLean decided he was going to um, sell his original, what are they called? Ma- not manuscripts. Yeah, oh, manuscripts. Yeah, manuscripts. Um, where he like wrote out the lyrics. His handwritten lyrics, basically. Yeah, in cursive, which I, can we just all cancel cursive? Cancel like I can't it. fucking read it. Anyway, uh, no one can read it. It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so he, he sold it for like 1.2 million or something. Yeah, and then like two. Bob Dylan later like sold the manuscript for like, I think Mr. Tambourine Man for like way more just to be a dick. Anyway, um, <laughs> it probably wasn't connected, but they, the article the I read was like, and then Bob Dylan sold his for like two million, and it's just kind of douchey. Um, that being said, love Bob Dylan, but they have this strange, uh, strange relationship. If you read about Bob Dylan's reaction to this song, he's he's always very, uh, very upset about it in like a personal way. Well, it's yeah, he called him a jester and said he was deteriorating. Basically, saying like Mascro's fat on a Rolling Stone. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds rude, doesn't it? Sounds really disrespectful. It does. It sounds like he got a motorcycle accident and then he was. But want to know what's also disrespectful is being a folk artist and shitting on the folk artist that paved the way for you to be a folk artist. Did Bob do that? No, Don McLean. Oh, I I get what you're saying. Don McLean shitting on Bob Dylan. Despite it the fact like that he, is. he would never yeah. be able to be in... I mean, his song hit number one everywhere. Don McLean? And, yeah. It was the first eight and a half minute and like, song it would number never, one. It would have never done that if not for people like Bob, Dylan. like Bob Dylan. But I guess he like maybe Buddy Holly and Pete Seeger better. It's like... I don't know. I don't know. It's all his know. perspective though, right? Like it's like I there's I artists the folk, I don't like. But I think the folk... A lot of the folk people had a had mixed mixed feelings about Bob Dylan because he did this whole folk thing and then went electric, went electric and then and then he changed man like you know that video but is um, folk an instrumentation or is oh, it like a voice undeniably and lyricism and so fucking influential anyway. undeniably but I and think I think so petty I think when people are part of you see it with like artists that like follow something Picasso's doing and then Picasso does something else and they're all like well fuck Picasso you know it's <laughs> like it's the same kind of thing where it's like Bob like like walked with them for this amount of time and then walked away and they all have to kind of feel a little angry that he walked away, I guess at the end of the day. So we should probably wrap this up. Yeah. So anyway, I was going to say, um, I was going to say the last thing and I don't want to try to decipher this at all, but I'll let, I'll leave you guys with this before we move on from this song. But there was a last deleted verse that they found in the manuscript. Yeah. And it's not, are we going to pour over it? No, it's not very, (laughs) it's not very complicated and I'm not going to sing it. Although I was, I was trying to, and then I, (laughs) it doesn't really fit with the rest of the, anyway, so perhaps, um, at one point McLean felt kind of hopeful and this was supposed to be like an upbeat ending to it. Oh, that would be nice. So here it is. So, and there I stood alone and afraid. I dropped to my knees and there I prayed and I promised him everything I could give. If only he would make the music live. And he promised it would live once more. But this time, one would equal four. And in five years, four had come to mourn and the music was reborn. Glad he got rid of that one. Let's not. Yeah, it's kind of it's not great, but let's not get too into it. The the, the numbers are interesting to me at the end, but I, I don't. The one became four. The, and the thing. fucking four and the five and the. Yeah, I can't get into it. But Is he trying to t- say that he's going to start a full band? He's like, and now I'm going to have and a I'm Beatles gonna be the cover rock and band. Roll king. 
and I will take and over. And in five years, four had come to mourn, and the music was reborn. Yeah, it's tough. In five years, four. It sounds like he's talking about the Beatles again, and like the revival of rock and roll. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Anyway, let's just uh, let's wrap it up. Cause let's just wrap it up. We got Lord, our thanks, uh, guys, for sticking with us for so yeah, long. And and I wish we could play American Pie, but we would get sued. So we're and, not gonna play um, it. So. so it's an eight we, and a half uh, <laughs> This Thursday, we're going to have a little ba- band outing and go see Charlie Crockett in si- San Francisco. You can hear us get real deep on Charlie yep. Crockett and his influences on episode, insert the blank yeah. here, uh, where we talk okay. about Charlie Crockett. It's, on, it's in the top 10. I just can't remember which but one on exactly. But on the 10th, uh, this Sunday in the morning, we're going to be on the Hangover Sessions, which yeah. is a live radio show in uh, San Francisco. So go ahead and we're going to be posting a bunch of shit for that. But then we're going to take another week off and uh, then we will show up again at Vinny's and we're going to play with Mama Foxy and and, M. uh, Jones and the Melee and Matthew Pullinger as or on Saturday the 23rd of November. And we have a lot more coming up. Uh, We're booking a ton of dates right now so we're going to get those. Yeah, we have a couple funky uh, around Christmas gigs in Napa and Berkeley and we'll announce those pretty soon too. Nice. So, yep, November 10th with DJ Webbles and the Hangover Sessions. And then September, or or, sorry, September, November 23rd at at Vinny's. Oh, and I... Sorry, were you going to say something? Nope, that was it. I was going to say earlier, I was going to say something when we were talking about our record, and then I forgot what it was. But what I was going to tell you is that, and this is very genuine, um, I've been listening to it just kind of, not a lot, not like a, not like a weirdo. Where I'm just listening to our record all the time. But like every once in a while, like I'll throw it on when I'm in my car and I can really crank it and like listen to it in a really uh, detailed way, you know, like when yeah. you can hear everything really loud. Um, and I've. Well, it's okay I, for you because you didn't like. I was in the mixing sessions oh, for like two months well, still, and like you guys were apart from it for like I know. five months. We so had like, like a disconnect yeah. where, and then we heard them again and we we're like, oh my God, they sounded like they'd been brought to life. And that's, yeah. you know, we owe a huge, huge, huge well, debt. Nate, Thank you to you. Nate. And Nate. And Nate too, um, a lot. Nate's a magic man. Um, but I have been going back and forth between like songs that it's interesting because when you write songs and you're way too close to them and then you record them and you play them a million times live and you it's hard to like listen to them like objectively mm-hmm. and so i've been listening to the record a lot and i my my new my f- new favorite song on the record to listen to as just like a person enjoying a song is my side of town Aww. hands fucking down it's so fun to listen Aww, to yeah it's yeah i think it's one of the best songs you've ever written Aww, um, nice. i've always hated that song what <laughs> <laughs> like me and fake flowers i'm like Fuck no that it's song. just my side of town i always felt like that was like a placeholder no it's you know what i mean it's like my fate like when i listen to the song front to back like the record front to back um that's like the one that i like, like get didn't paul mccartney write like yesterday as like ham and, ham and eggs or something like oh you felt that way no i i, fe- I kind of felt oh, like no, that my, side, my of town side of town is, town, is yeah. crafted so well i, I love it. it like if you haven't heard our record yet First of all, go listen to the whole thing, but like, listen to the record. Don't sleep on my side of town. It's like, and the recording and like the tempo and the feel. It's just like it's so it's so good. I've been I've been Aww. cranking that one for sure. Yeah, that's my that's, that's nice. my my most recent favey fave. Nice. But yeah, you know, I go through phases. But that one's that one's really fun. It, it always it surprises you. I'm sure you can relate. Like listening back, it surprises you which ones you're like, 
oh, like you're just, you just catch yourself enjoying yourself, yeah. you know, listening to totally. it. You got to feel yourself sometimes, dude. You just got to <laughs> be says. like, God, we're dope. <laughs> Feeling myself. I, I definitely listen to Sweet Soul music and obviously it's just everybody's performance, Wes Grand's, Wes Grand Brass Band's performance um, where I'm just like really proud of everyone on that song. I'm like, holy shit, this one's a banger. Yeah, like if, if people want to hear are like, what does your band sound like? I, I usually give them that first. I, I don't give them that one first just because it sounds like we're a swing band or like a rockabilly I band. I don't disagree, yeah. I think it's I think it's the one that most people can get into right away. Like, Hey Hey Charles is a little gritty for some people. Like, I don't know. It depends on the person. But for just like the average like coworker, I'm just like, yeah, here, you listen to Sweet Soul Music. Like, that's my first. Yeah. I'm like, this is the most agreeable where you're listening to be like, oh, Emily's in a good band. And then you can get into like the dirty rock I mean, and roll yeah. if you're into I, it. My favorite... Um, is still let it shine. Let I it think shine when it first great. hits that that uh the it's like there's two intros. There's like one intro which sounds like freaking Chicago like PD like in like a cop show or something like that. Okay, can I just say like <laughs> okay, so we released our record and then like you were doing all this stuff where you were like getting in with BMI and stuff and we didn't really know what was going on and then you we have a group chat and you wrote in the group chat you were like yeah crazy so let it shine is gonna be on an episode of what was it ncis ncis <laughs> and like i read that and i was like first of all i had no idea what the no, fuck ncis I said, was though. i was like what's ncis and then i googled it and i was with tom and i was like oh i think i think we're gonna be on like an episode of ncis i think we got picked up like our song and he was like oh that's so cool and we were like talking about it and then you're like oh i was totally kidding I thought you guys were, no I was no like, we did not think you were kidding so we I, thought you were <laughs> serious so i was like we should watch it not a single person <laughs> except for you and i had like bmi songwriter right. or, you know licensing shit Clearly, I don't and, know how the system works because I was um, like, "Oh, we submitted it, and, and now was, it's being used like on TV shows." I was choking because I was like, "I need your guys to. Si- I need Alante and Tom to sign up so I can give you songwriting rights, so we can get into licensing right. and sync right. and go into TV shows, commercials, yeah. and shit like that." So I jumped ahead. I and was so like, We're I there. was like, I was like. You sign up for BMI tonight, and I'll and we're on NCIS tomorrow. And you guys took it super serious, dude. I mean, it wasn't like remember when we did our podcast on um I think it was Handsome Jack, and they were talking about how like they released their record and they did the BMI thing, and then like their friend called them and was like, "Hey, you're on this cop show," and like yeah. they just used their song and they were getting paid, but it was like they just weren't aware of it. And so I'm yeah. like, "Oh, it's like that. Like we're just on. <laughs> we're like we got picked up already. No, that's what we want to do. I mean, that's like, what the goal is. Yeah. But like I just fast forwarded in my head, and and anyway, also yeah, your that was fucking dry dad sense of humor completely yeah. went over my head, and I was just like, "Oh, really? Oh, my, cool." My girlfriend calls me dad all the time, and I was like, "Oh, god damn it! What's going on here?" You know, like I do always, that with Tom because it's yeah. yeah, like well, Tom makes a lot of dad jokes to this day. Like when I ask if he can turn off one of the lights he claps and <laughs> like it like we have a uh, clap lights i'm oh like it's God. not funny he does it every time i'm like can you shut off the kitchen light and I'm just like tom <laughs> so we call him the daddest man alive which is a reference to the dan arbuck song um, baddest man alive. well that was actually or black rock yeah from, uh, yeah it's from that but it's also uh the daddest man alive was for this UFC fighter, he I think he was oh. kind of, he has like this super dad bod. His Bazzi name Daniel like... Cormier, oh, uh, okay. and he has like the ultimate ultimate dad bod. But he was also like the heavyweight champion of the world, the so they called him the daddest man alive. We're seeing the we're seeing uh, the Black Keys modest mouse. Well, yeah, we're basically taking this month off to go see all of our favorite Charlie bands. Crockett, 
you know Mason Jennings is in Berkeley on Saturday for like 20 bucks and uh, Tom and I might go we're might thinking about well. it when is it it's Saturday fu- this Saturday in Berkeley ah. we're kind of like fuck it and it's at Cornerstone which is like a new oh, yeah, venue yeah. that we kind of just want to check out the venue I've seen Mason Jennings like four times I've met him he's a sweetheart I w- was obsessed with his music for a long time so I, I'm super down so we might do that and then yeah we're gonna see Charlie Crockett and then we're gonna see the Black Keys and Modest Mouse. I was obsessed with Modest Mouse. I still am. I love Modest Mouse. And uh, Shannon and the Clams are opening. They're amazing. Uh, they're on the uh, Easy Eye Sound Review uh, label. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Easy yeah. Eye Records. Anyway, Dan Arbach's label. Yeah. Um, it's this bad bitch bass player that sings, and they're kind of like gritty fifties. They're surf, surf rock. rock. Yeah, they're surf, like rock, surf rock, but they're yeah. kind of gritty. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 cool. It's it's it reminds me of the Growlers. It's a similar yeah, vein. They do the, a little bit of like that weird uh, throwback. They're I wouldn't call them it's pin beach up, bummy, but, but it's, it's a little like, like that weird too. same kind of. It almost has like a weird rockabilly well, she, flavor to it. She has a punk rock voice. She kind of sings like, like that. That's not really I'm mean. I don't. Like, I'm not talking shit. Like she just has like a, a gritty ass voice. But you and know, then like how rockabilly is kind of like that. It's kind of like rock and roll mixed with punk rock. Like right, so it's like surf rock mixed with punk. Yeah. It's it's very it's very unique, and yeah, it's very growlersy. But she they're opening for well growlers. They they label themselves as beach goth, which beach is goth. basically like goth music, punk music Meets mixed with surf, surf music. Rock. Which yeah. they're not the most surfy band of all time, but anyway, we gotta get we are rambling. We gotta get this wrapped up. Um, oh, yeah. we've gone over two hours. So <laughs> let's just uh So go uh, listen to you. American yeah. Pie. Thank go listen you to for listening. Thank to you that. for listening. Listen to by the way, listen to the whole album. It's really amazing. Yeah. The whole Don McLean record. Like, yeah. don't just be little Stuart. <laughs> oh, starting the vinyl over and over again on fucking American Pie, even though it's amazing. Um, That's what kids do. That whole record is. Why do you think so Old Town good. Road has a billion plays I on Spotify? Yeah. I can't even. But yeah, it's Till Tomorrow is a beautiful song. Empty chairs, fucking everybody loves me, baby. It's a great record. Yeah. So anyway, but yeah, hopefully we uh, we didn't dive super crazy deep into the. Um, conspiracy theories but you can do but that yeah, at home it was kids. fun doing another uh, <laughs> another uh, rewind. rewind yeah and uh, we might have a rock and roll review coming up on a, an artist yes. that we both love very much we're both and currently so we're binging uh, a new sort of underground artist that we're trying to get permission for so fingers crossed yeah. Yeah. anyway I'm Stuart I'm Emily we're gonna keep searching for that three sounds <laughs>
But it just caused more frustration Closest thing to my damnation I have found Well, I'm a half a mile from Sunday But I still have faith that one day you will turn to me And say you'll stick around But I can't turn back to my past not past Same old Like that is the same old song and dance.